Good evening and welcome to Music Relish Podcast, July 10th, 2022, with Lou Calicchio, Perry Dedovich, and Mark Smith as your hosts. For now, we're going to talk about some albums, some recording studios, and maybe just a fun pop quiz or two, and just have some fun, relax, and enjoy the show. Yeah, man. It's going to be good. It's going to be fun. Take it on down. How you doing, guys? Doing good. Doing good. Doing good. Doing good. Thanks. So what's happening tonight? Well, we got a bunch of, maybe some holdover stuff from last week, some new stuff. Mark's got something on his mind. Uh, favorite artist. Uh, you mentioned you want to talk about a recording studio. I want to mention um, a, little, actually a, little, a, little, a little fun quiz and a producer and a, a new drummer find. Um, someone I don't know if a lot of people know his name unless you're a two geek like us. Yeah. Um, this guy's got a pretty cool resume, and I have a parallel to another drummer uh, with him in mind. But uh, that's pretty much it. Is that coffee in that cup? Okay, so um, you know I did listen to Blue the Cult's first record. I don't hear a ding on a glass, Mark. What's going on? <laughs> Hold on a second. Blue Oyster Cult. There it is. We just can't help it. I the first record, Lou, and uh, yeah, I gotta say it was 1972, right? I mean, it oh, yeah. recorded in '71, released it in '72, and um, it sounded like 1972. But I gotta tell you, yeah. you're this drummer guy. He's good. Yeah, yes, he he's good. He's good. What's his name? His name is Albert Bouchard. Um, he, he was also one of the main songwriters. Uh, he sang some lead vocals too. Um, but yeah, a yep. very, very talented guy. He was, uh, at one point, someone called him the Tony Williams of rock and roll at that point. He had a pretty jazzy style. He was, you know, he knew how to work that kit, but you know, he, he could play. He probably he still can. But um, yeah, so yeah, you, listen, yeah. you listen to the whole album. The, the eponymous thing is, I listen to the whole Blues album, all, yeah. um, all 16 songs. How would you call it? Good, very good. No, all okay. 14 songs. 14 songs, okay. Yeah. Well, I wrote down, uh, you, you know, kind of a little review of every song because, like, uh, right. on some of the songs, like the, the first song, and, and by the way, now I know why Mark keeps saying to me, you're as beautiful as a foot. <laughs> 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 right? Because now I know. Yeah. I never knew what that was about. but That's song time. Oh, so you probably were like, what the hell is Mark saying? Now I said, what the and I always thought, what the hell is he talking about? You know? The only thing I can add to that is, Perry, don't cut your tongue on the bloody tamale. It, t- <laughs> it tasted just like a Guernsey cow. There's um, some wacky some lyrics in there. <laughs> <laughs> what are they talking about? You know? the, the lyrics weren't mostly written by them, I think. They used a lot of outside people, but like Sandy Perlman, uh, Murray Krugman, Patti Smith, and whomever, and the one rock critic, I can't think of his name now, but yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Well, uh, anyway, the, the I'm, first song I'm was like... Dying to hear what you think. Transmission MC, or what's Tra- the name of that song? Uh, Transmaniacon. And I like the way the guitars play off each other. Yeah. You know, And also, like, I didn't really hear a lot of keyboards. The keyboards are very, very light, until, like, a couple of songs later on in the record. I mean, they were there... But they weren't, you know, these outlandish, loud keyboards. Right. Um, now, the guy that played keyboards also played guitar. That's Alan Lanier, um, who was 
uh, Patty Smith's boyfriend at the time they made horses, which is why he's on that record. Really? Yeah, yeah, and that led to her doing some collaborations with them uh, lyrically. So, so the, like they had, but I thought it was, um, I thought it was Buck Dharma. Yeah. And then I thought Eric Bloom was a guitar player also. Eric Bloom plays guitar. So they had, and, and Albert Bouchard plays guitars on some songs too. It's, uh, you know, in the studio, anything goes. You know, like when McCartney played a lot of guitar, you wouldn't think it was him. Um, yeah, but, you know, like I, I, when I saw them live, Alan Lehner played half, you know, maybe 60 40 keyboard guitar, I think, if I remember correctly, you know. But, um, well, whoever played guitar on that first song, Transmaniacon, is really, it's really well, good. Buck Dharma is the lead guitarist. So all the solos are him. But a lot of those riffs could be Albert, could be Alan, or it could be Eric Bloom, too. When you see him live, Eric Bloom plays. He doesn't really know as much of a guitar player in that band, but he's yeah, in yeah, there a lot. Yeah. And, he, and he writes as well. But, um, and there was another song called, what's the second song called? Um uh, something about I'm, I'm a lamb, I'm, I'm on a lamb or something. I'm, a, I'm on a lamb, but I ain't no sheep. Yeah, yeah, something like down, that. Down, 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 down. Now, that song yeah, actually, they, had, they, they got a rewrite on the second album. Uh, the song The Red and the Black on the second album is a, a rewrite of that, that song from the first album. And who did uh, background vocals? On, didn't they have some guest background vocalists? On the first record? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I, I think they did. I don't know who it is, but there were there were some girls singing on there. I think. Huh, on, uh, okay. One of those songs. Yeah. They used a lot of you know like a New York talent. You know, Ganya Ravan. Maybe I don't know if Patty Smith is on the first album, but it, it could be girlfriends' wives. I know I, Buck Dharma sang with his wife sometimes. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna find that out because I, I forgot. It's been a long time since I looked up the history of that album. Um, so what comes after "I'm on the Land" but ain't no sheep? Then they had like a slow number. It was called. Um, then came, the days. Days then came the last, last days of May. Then came the last days of May. That's, that's like a slow, I don't know, it was like a slow blues number, maybe. Very bluesy. Um, that's yeah, also, yeah. That, that's a Buck Dharma lead vocal. But he sang, he wrote and sang that one. It's a, it's about a drug drug deal gone awry. Um, and some now, friends Paula of theirs died, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And some um, of these, like there's another song called Stairway. Wait, a Stairway to the Stars? Stairway to the Stars. And what uh, I and did that, was... Uh, Perry? Yeah, Philosynium yeah. covered, then, then came the last days of May. Really? We did Transmaniacon, uh, then came the last days of May, maybe some other things. It's been, been 40 years. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, and um, when, I, when I wrote down, like, you know, like the drummer, I put exclamation point because the drums are really good. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. really good in some of these songs. So I know what you've been talking about with this guy all those years. Yeah, yeah. A, a, good, a good influence, yeah. And a singer, too. Yeah. yeah. And it was, there, I mean, there's so many songs on there, but there was one song that was almost a country song. Redeemed. You know the one I mean. It's called Redeemed. I can't think of the name of it. It's, it's, it's called Redeemed. Driven by a song redeemed upon the authority. It's got almost like it has it a country. I, has a in country fact, I wrote it here, redeemed, and I just wrote country song in parentheses. It's, it's a country song. It, it's very country. I mentioned when, yeah. when we talked about it last week when you were dissing them, by the way. Um, the uh, <laughs> They're not just for 12-year-olds, Barry. <laughs> yeah. They didn't write a song called Lick It Up. But, uh, <laughs> but that, that's it, it's a diverse album. That, that, that song in particular, that's one of my favorites. Um mentions Christmas Day on it. Up on the North 40, I'm sure it was Christmas Day. And there's another song called Screams. Am I, uh, am I reading Screams. my own handwriting right? Yep. Screams yep. in the Night. Sung by Joe Bouchard, the bass player, brother 
of Albert. And, and this this one. You have like, Albert Bouchard in a can? the interesting one with the swirly guitars on it, right? With that with, with mm-hmm. some screams? I think it had like swirly yeah. guitar. Right, 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 yeah, right, right, that was right. really interesting. Yeah. And that's got some eerie earthly keyboard on there. There's a breaker. He does some organ flourishes. If, if it's an organ, I'm sure it is. Yeah, yeah, yep. Absolutely. I, I found it to be a very interesting record for a record I've never heard before, ever. Yeah. Never heard one song from this it, record um, also, until the, the other day. Now, you, you, you forgot a song, or there's a song that you might not have mentioned, or... Oh, there's was, a lot of them that I... Yeah, I it, the one song we, well, was the first single from the record, as sung by Albert Bouchard. Cities on Flame with Rock and Roll. Sneakers? Facts about sneakers? Cities no, on that, Flame. That, that's a bonus cut. That's a cut that didn't make the actual release. Really? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the, the, bonus cuts, yeah. the bonus cuts were salt when they were soft white underbelly. They're yeah. from 1969. Donovan's Monkey, What is Quicksand, yeah. A Fact About Sneakers, and Betty Lou's Got a New Pair of Shoes. Sorry, <laughs> Lou. Go ahead. No, no, it's fine. Um, you know, Cities on Flame with Rock and Roll was the first, it was the single from the album. Not a hit. Not a hit by any means. Good song, though. Yeah, it's a good song. Philosinium played that as well. That was my, that was my vocal, that was my vocal feature in Philosinium. And then they had another song about quicksand. Uh, what is quicksand? Uh, what's what's with quicksand or something? What is quicksand? That, 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 that's, that's another that's bonus from, cut. Yeah, that's the uh, soft white underbelly. Oh, okay, yeah. that's why yeah. there were fourteen of them. I heard so originally there yeah. were probably only about ten of them. About right? about ten, probably. Yeah, yeah. 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 And in fact, uh, redeemed was the last song on the record on on the yeah. actual Columbia. They're on Columbia too. Um, that was the last song on the record. I guess and it was re- an interesting song called "Beautiful as a Foot." Once again, <laughs> and what I noticed, what I noticed is about uh, how the cymbals sounded on that on the drum kit. They were really good. They were really nice. Yeah, the cymbals yeah. on that, yeah. They, they used some phasing on the cymbal, um, even I mean, in later maybe that's, albums. Maybe that's what it was. There, yeah. There's some phasing on Agents of Fortune. There, I think it was using some kind of delay on the hi hat. I, I hear like a swirly thing. Um, there, you know, the producer was Sandy Perlman, uh, lyricist and Produced other people, and I'm going to get back to him in the uh, my, my little rock and roll pop quiz. Sandy, well, I, I got to tell you, overall, all roads lead to Blue Oyster Friggin' Cult. It's, it's true. Right, but all, I got to tell you, overall, I didn't think it was that good of a production. Like, uh, no, I, I, no. I'm, like I'm looking forward to hearing the Martin Birch productions. Yeah. I didn't it was, think it was very, very well, different. You know, it was. It sounded just like any old Kiss record, too. Well, yeah, poorly was, produced. I was just. Know, I, 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 just I, don't, I don't think it's. I don't think it's poorly produced. I think for the time. It no, sounds, no. I, 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 let, let me rephrase that. I mean, yeah. the it's not a high production value, although they were no. there with uh, like you know those Kiss rec those early Kiss records. They were poorly produced. Well, you know what? You know what it is? I think that that Columbia Records they used a staff producer who didn't record they rock and roll. That was that was the issue with the Kiss albums too. Is they weren't using rock and roll producers. These are guys I that could have recorded using Bob Ezrin. Band or something. <laughs> no, wasn't no, Kiss no. Bob first Ezrin. couple the record, uh, which by the way, what? I have to make a correction about later on too. I have to make what? two corrections, Lou, because I confused you the other week about this Marshall Crenshaw thing. Right, and, right. You, yeah. you mentioned yeah. um, the, the, was, my favorite mistake was, or something. I was. I was <laughs> All right, Fonzie, come on. Um, but oh, now, but, I wasn't but the, exactly right. The, the first part, Blue Oyster Cult record was engineered, I think it was like a David, I think it was Sandy Perlman, who is a well-known producer. Um, and oh. I think Dave, David Lucas is, was a long-time engineer, but... Actually, no. It was uh, also 1972. They were probably on Mescaline. Um, Bill Robertson <laughs> was... Bill Robertson was the engineer. 
uh, Murray Krugman and Sandy Perlman were associate producers and David yeah. Lucas was the producer and engineer. So it, it could have been like that Sandy Perlman wasn't really in control. That could have been the, the issue yeah. with it. Yeah. I don't think it's a bad sound. I think it's, a, I, I like the sound of the record. I don't know if it's, it's, it's very esoteric. It's very trippy. It's very trippy. It's almost a psychedelic it's recording. Just for Blue Oyster Cult, in those early days, the Blue Oyster Cult record sounded better. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Now, when Martin, 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 might be the worst album ever. When Martin, now, the second record to me has a weird production. The second record sounds like you're on acid. It, just has, it has a very acidy feel. So the first record I liked, I thought it had a certain, a lot of reverb, echoey. Um, but the second record to me sounded, uh, my brother, Anthony, I used to say, this sounds like mescaline. You shouldn't say <laughs> um, mezcal. I drank mezcal, and yeah. Anywho, but I'm glad you liked it, Perry. I I did like it. I actually yeah. enjoyed it listening to it, and I really uh, did listen to it. I did just didn't do I'm like sure a did, huh? bandstand. You know, it's got a good beat, but you can't dance to it. You didn't do no, sound didn't samples. Yeah, yeah, that's a good headphone record. The um the third record, some people think is the best one, the Secret Treaties. Uh, it's a great record, but you know, the produ- the, it's not high. It is not high production. No, I, I know that it, you know, they recorded like in Port Jefferson. So these aren't the biggest studios and stuff. And I think you're early on your budget's what it is. But yeah. by the time of the Martin Birch uh, productions, it was clean, about as modern as I wanted to hear in the eighties. Right. Cause right after that, you know, that Def Leppard snare drum after 1981 is that a snare mm-hmm. drum instead of a thousand pounds of glass being dropped off a building. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> So that was my thing about listening to that first record. I'm glad I did. And, uh, you know, I like to have, I was having fun with it all that time in the past, but, uh, you know, I respect you know, it. You know, Perry, when, when I asked Lou one time on Facebook, he was riffing about yeah. Mr. Colton. I said, always wanted to get into him. Where do I get started? And Lou said, start with the first album. It is a good introduction. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there are always, always peaks and valleys. I think they're, they're pretty consistent though. Even, after Don't Fear the Reaper was the big hit, the pressure is on to make singles. So the albums that follow that, Spectres with Godzilla, that's a great album. Um, now, the album when, after that, when, was, when was Don't Fear the Reaper? 76. And then 78. So that was really yeah. only five years into their, four, yeah. years, four or five years into their career before it, that, they had that smash, smash hit, right? Yeah, an all-time classic. That was their fourth album, Agents of Fortune. Um, now, that was a big leap. The album, with that one, right? oh, they, they blew up, but then they had to live up to it. And Apparently, within the band history, like, you know, they all want to, you know, Buck Darman made a shit ton of money off Don't Fear the Reaper that, you know, if you didn't write it, you got your royalty for performing, blah, blah, but that publishing, you know, that was him. So they all wanted to hit singles after that. Yeah. 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 So that's, you know, Divide and Conquer or, or just intra-band internecine warfare where, you know, you're kind of edging each other out. But, and of course, he landed the other big top 40 hit. But years later, I mean... Between Don't For The Reaper is 76 and Burn A Few is 81. So you get a nice little span of time where they tried to do that. And they, had, they wrote some great songs. They're, um, Tom Wehrman, who produced Cheap Trick, uh, he produced Mirrors, uh, an album of theirs in 1979. Mm-hmm. But you know, they, they, it's a very slick record. There's some great songs on it. But they were, he was trying to get them to be pop hits at that point. And Eric Bloom, yeah. the lead singer, was he tried to push him to the side because he wanted more Buck Dharma songs because... He figured, you know, if they could duplicate the success of Don't For The Reaper and Burn It, or not even, Burn Few hadn't come out yet. If they duplicate the success of Don't For The Reaper, being the band's status up at the record company, and it is a business, right? Yeah. So, so 76 was Don't Fear The Reaper, and 81 was the other one, Burning For You? Yeah, yeah. Was yeah. that spent a time in there? It was like a five-year yeah, yeah. Five gap. But at the same time, they... It was from the same record. No, no, no. If you listen, two very different. If you listen to... 
the production on Don't For The Reaper. And then when you, when you like, you listen to Fire of an Origin and Cultosaurus, mm-hmm. the Martin Birch records, you notice it's, it's completely different. But, um, yeah, listen yeah. to Fire of an Origin. Do, do the bookends because of the original lineup, because the one you listen to, the Blue Oyster Cult, is the first. Fire of an Origin is the last record with the original lineup. Um, and you'll see it, but it, there's, some, there's some really well, good songs. I'm gonna, I'm, what my next, my next assignment is going to be uh, learning more about Emerson, Lake, and Palmer for uh, oh, no, for no. Mark and Tom Stallone. I, so I, I got, can, uh, I got one for you tonight. Don't Palmer. worry. I got an album for you to listen to tonight. That's the new segment. <laughs> All right, cool. Omar. So what's up? Yeah, so what else is going on, guys? You want to take a little uh, moment, some moment for some fun? Yeah. To test your, to yeah, test your yeah. acumen, your, your rock I'm and roll up. knowledge. Okay. So I went on some sites and I, I there were like some of the biggest albums of their time, the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, yeah. Um, I'll be a very heavy 60s lady. Just, that's the mood. So I'm going to name an album and name the artist. I, I got some different genres in here too. Okay. Uh, the album's called Blue Train. John Coltrane. First name right, second name now. Oh. Classic. Do you, have a, do you have a decade? Uh, this was 60s. Not John Coltrane. No, it's country. Oh, okay. Elvis Parsley. No. No? He's an icon. It's an icon. Huge. I'm not Everyone, going on my computer right yes. now. Willie He's, Nelson. You're, you're close in genre, but wrong in name. The first name is John. Mark said John Coltrane. Has, so the first name is right. The second name is not. The first John name is Den- John. John Denver. No. <laughs> Icon. American legend. Mount Rushmore of Johnny Cash. Darn. <sighs> Going around a blue Damn. train. That was my dad's. That's the only country music my dad liked. Okay. Um, this, we're going to the 70s now. Marquee Moon. Like, like movie Mark. Oh, I know that one. Oh, let me have it. Television. You got it, Perry. Who was the producer? Brian Eno. Eugene uh, Levy. I think, I think it was Andy Johns. Andy Johns, a, a Glenn's brother. Yeah. I think yep. you're right. Excellent. All right. Um, this so. is the 80s. This is the 80s. Uh, good band, good band, influential band. Zen Arcade. Album type. Zen Arcade. Oh, I've heard that so many times. <laughs> I hope you have. I'm not going on my computer. Ah, no cheating. One of the guys went on to um, equal success. The other man in the band died a couple years ago. I think it's Husker Du. Yes, it is. Yeah. Sorry. Right. <laughs> MTV. I want... <laughs> nice. <laughs> I want my... Um, here's one. The, band, the album's called Sound Effects. AFF. Yeah, what was that last one? Uh, Zen Arcade was Husker Du. Oh, yeah, of course. Okay. I should have known that. Uh, this is I, also from, I, I think this is from the 80s. No cheating, man. This, this is not an open book test. Okay, uh, sound effects. A-F-F-E-C-T-S. Affect. Sound effect. You guys like you guys like the guy, the songwriters fan. You guys are big fans of this guy. Huge fan. Uh, Very well respected. What's that? 1980s? 1990s? Uh, 1980s. He's, he's more lumped in with the new wavy, uh, not new romantic, but English pop. If they're English. The, this band was English. Not Brian Ferry. No, no, but you're close. English beat. No, you're, but you're close. You guys are in that same same genre. That same. And I've been uh, listening movie. to a lot of that that genre lately. Same genre. 
the the mm-hmm. songwriter the songwriter you guys really really like you may, mark you talk about him a, a lot style council <laughs> oh well the jam the jam okay oh my god oh my god how could i not get oh, that one <laughs> Uh, uh, moving forward, uh, this is one. This this is a little throwing astral weeks for the people out there. You, we know that one. Band right. the man, band the man. Okay, um, here's one from I think it's late seventies, maybe eighty. Um, Armed forces. Elvis. El- which one? The real Elvis Costello. <laughs> All right, uh, this is the seventies. Selling England by the pound. Genesis. Genesis. I, I jumping on that one. <laughs> All right. Now that's a really good record too. For it uh, is. It is. It is. Very good. Yeah. Is. That's a good sounding record. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good production. David Henschel or Henschel or Henschel. Henschel. Yeah. Henschel. Yeah. Henschel. A bunch of Genesis. You know, the first album. time I ever heard that record, I was in uh, Westwood, uh, New Jersey, at the record store there called. Uh, what's the record store there called? Music, Music Merchant. Merchant. Music Merchant, and the uh, proprietor John was playing the, that song on the, on the LP. And he had a good stereo system there. And I'm like, what, what is that? That yeah. sounds great. He's like, that's Genesis selling England by the pound. And nice. it really sounded good. Yeah. yeah. Very, very warm, lush production. Great stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let, let, let's move into the modern era. This is in the 90s. Uh, album title, Super Unknown. Soundgarden. Soundgarden. Okay. Really? Yeah. Um, this one's from the 70s. The album is called Tookus. <laughs> <laughs> Barry, this is yours. Come on. Emerson Smith and Ah, you got it. Yeah. Emerson, <laughs> Emerson Lake. That's an inside joke. Emerson Lake and Palmer. Tarkas. Tarkas. Emerson Smith and Spallone. Okay, this one is for, uh, well, the album is called Beauty and the Beat, 80s. Beauty and the Beat. Oh, the Go Go's. The Go Go's, yes. Uh, this is a great record. Great right. record. Yeah, uh, this is the greatest pop records. Wow, Jack's, I, Jack's favorite band from Milk Crates. Yeah, praise from yeah. Caesar. Hey, uh, this he, is, this... you know, he really went to bat for them. And in fact, yeah. I was listening to the show one time, and Gina Shock called in. Really, right. called in to to thank Jack, and she said, "Scott, fuck you." You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. You never know. Who's, you never know who's listening. Yeah, Jack Calabrese really, really went to bat for them, and they and uh, she appreciated it absolutely. Nice, nice. But it's funny. She told Scott, "Fuck you," but of course, you know, <laughs> it's all in stride. You know that. Okay, this this one is from the eighties, nineteen eighties. The album is called Closer. You guys were talking about this band last week about being depressed. Or you said That's if you wanted. No, close. Barry, Barry, you said if you want to get depressed, oh, listen to this band. Mode. It was the, uh, yeah, who are they? Uh, um, Ian Curtis is the singer, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Us. Rhymes with juvenile delinquent. That's the same initials as juvenile delinquent. <laughs> I'm leaving it for Perry. You got three seconds. <laughs> Joy Division. That's a joy division. Oh my god, we're we're okay. failing this test like we're, horribly. You guys are doing pretty bad, actually. <laughs> um, nineteen uh, eighties, disintegration is the album type. Disintegration. Disintegration. Yes. Avatar. No. English. I have English, too. English pop new wave. English. Wild hair guy. Weird makeup. Spread all over his face like the Joker. The Smiths. 
Thomas no, Dolby. You're, yeah. you're close. You're oh, close. that was Morrissey. Yeah. You're close. I, I know what you're thinking, Perry. Yeah, this is not the band. Yeah, you, I can't think know. of the other name. Which, um, the guy's yeah. name is Robert Smith, I think, right? Yes, yes. Oh, so the band, yeah. Robert, Robert Smith was the cure. Okay. The cure. Yeah. All right. Um, oh, wow. Let's see. This one, the, all right. Let it be, not the Beatles. Let it be, not the Beatles. The replacements. Yeah. The replacements. Okay. Um, I'm sucking. Uh, 1980s, Dead Letter Office. Mark? I'm really off tonight. I know the... <laughs> Go for it, Perry. R.E.M. R.E.M. Wait, I got to pour more wine to get a better thing. <laughs> um, the Royal sorry, Scam. I'm sorry. The Royal Scam. The Dan, Steely Dan. Steely Dan. Really? Um, yep. Give him enough rope. The Clash. Clash, second album. Um, at the Fillmore East. Second album slumped, by the way. Yeah. At the, yeah. And wait, wait, by the way, second album produced by Sandy Perlman from Blue Oyster Cult. Produced the, he produced the second Clash album. Yeah. Sandy Perlman produced the sec- Clash, the second album. Yeah, yes, he did. With Tommy Gunn. Tommy Gunn. Yeah, yep. Wow. Yeah, pretty cool, huh? Yeah, very cool. All right. Um, so this one, at the Fillmore East. Well, it could be the almonds. It could be a humble pie. That's <laughs> the almonds. The okay. <laughs> oh, that's rocking the Fillmore is the uh, humble pie. Yeah. Um, this one from the 60s. is. Uh, this was the only American band that was not affected by the British invasion. Um, so the album is called Fifth Dimension. It's got one of my favorite songs by my favorite songwriter on this. A classic American band. Big, huge. Fifth Dimension? Fifth Dimension, yeah. It was the last album that this particular songwriter who was a founding member was on. He quit. Is this, what decade is it? 1960. Mid-60s. 66. They're big. Big, that's big a, American. That album Big American band. Um, the they birds. did it. They, they did it. What's that? The birds. You're right, it's the birds, yeah. That was the um, guess because I knew you were probably talking about Gene Clark. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, good, good deduction. Good, good detective work there. Um, yeah, yeah that, that has eight miles high on it. Um, oh, okay. Mr. Spaceman. Hey, Mr. Spaceman. Yeah. Uh, kind of a, a prelude to their country period. Okay, this was the 1970s. Um, the album is called Homecoming. All their albums up to a point began with the letter God H. God bless America. Wait, wait. Yes. What was that? What was that hint? What was that well, hint Perry, you Perry, just laid? Uh, Perry, Perry got it. So all, I think the first five records all began with the letter H. Homecoming, Holiday, Harbor. Yeah, what was the Hostility, Hatred. Harvest. No, yeah. Harvest no, was Neil Young. That was um, Neil Young. <laughs> yeah, the, the band was America, but I don't know why okay. they, they chose the letter H. Yeah, what was it with the H? And uh, well, They ate a lot of garlic, and they like to say the... H. <sighs> okay, this album is called 1970s, big, huge. We talked about it recently. The album is called Horses. Patty Smith. Patty Smith. Not that scandal woman either. All right. A couple, couple more here. A couple more here. Uh, this is 1960s. The album is called Modern Sounds in Country and Western Music. There was two volumes. There's a volume two of this. African American artists. Oh, man. I was just listening to it on Spotify. <laughs> All right. You're killing me, Lou. You're killing me. 
You're I'm not getting any of this. Oh. Um, African American artist. He's an icon as well. Now, what's the name of the record again? Um, there were two. Uh, it was Modern Sounds in Country and Western Music, and then there was a Modern Sounds in Country and Western Music Volume Two. Is it Charlie uh, Pride? No, no, but uh, he's a piano player. Was a piano player. Ray Charles. Thing, Ray Charles. Yeah, yeah. One of the top selling records of the sixties. Both of them. Yeah. All right, that was cool. Um, let's see here. The, the I'm talking what's called Stand. The album was called Stand? Yeah, with an exclamation period. Not the it's band also, Stained? It, no, it, no, right? It's the name of a song, too. Sly and the Family Stone. Yeah. Um, okay, so how about this one? Um, we're only in it for the money. 60s. Underground. Uh, Mothers of Invention. Mothers of Invention, Mark. Dang. Yeah. All right, 60s. John Wesley Harding. Perry. Bobby Dylan. Bobby Dylan. What's the matter, hard on? Don't you want to take your medicine? Um, <laughs> this one's sixties. Music from Big Pink. The band. I'm gonna say that. One. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was self-serving. Um, here's one: Sweetheart of the Rodeo. Sweetheart of the Rodeo. The birds. For the kids out there. The birds. Mark um, Smith got it. Yep. Ah, uh, Perry, I should have given it to you. You got me into that album. No, no, no. Okay, um, two more. The Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd. 60s. And this one, too. Our last one. Say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. Jimmy Brown. (laughs) Your buddy, Jimmy Brown. Jimmy Brown. All right. You guys were pretty bad. That was good. We we sucked. We just sucked like crazy. And I don't think they were anyone. That's okay. There were some obscurities there. It's weird how you, you know, when you see the band's name, yeah. you see the album tell you, like, oh, okay, sure, sure. It's like any other association. And you're like, oh, no. Yeah. Yep. And sometimes you have to see it, ri- see it written or, yeah. you know, for yeah. some reason or something. Absolutely. Mark, what did you want to talk about? Oh, okay. Well, you know what? I just forgot this week. I was just not forgot. I was listening. I want to mention Alan Parsons Project because I've been listening to him a lot. I think it's a band worth just mentioning because they're very interesting. They came about in the mid seventies between dinosaur rock and new wave, kind of like Steely Dan. They didn't tour. They didn't play live, but unlike Steely Dan, they always had different musicians. Uh, the two guys that headed that group were just behind the mixing console, maybe playing keyboards. So I've been like listening to a lot of them and it, and there were a band that for years I didn't like, because they were always being pushed on me as being prog, and I didn't consider them prog in a snobby sense, but they are. So uh, just a little background really quick. You know, Alan Parsons' project is Alan Parsons, who was the uh, assistant engineer on Abbey Road and the White Album, and he was a engineer. He produced the uh, debut album by Pilot, Remember Magic? He mixed the debut album by Ambrosia, produced their second album, Go ahead. The pilot. I had that 45. Oh, whoa, whoa. Yeah, their whole debut album, Alan Parsons. He, yeah, he, he engineered that. He produced it. Yeah, yeah. It, I got it. One thing I get wrong, he mixed some out. Al- he produced some albums and he engineered some albums. Right. There's a big difference there, you know. Um, but we all know Alan Parsons' big thing is Dark Side of the Moon. That was his yeah. yep. That's what. He was an engineer on that, right? That's his, his bone of contention also. Yep. He didn't get a penny yeah. out of it. Yep. Um, but after he did Dark Side of the Moon, 
he was hanging out at Abbey Road Studios and he met Eric Wolfson. Now, a little thing about Eric Wolfson, a lot of people don't, if you don't know Alan Parsons, you don't want, know much about Eric Wolfson, but he's from Glasgow. And he came to London in 1963, signed with Andrew Oldman, Oldham to uh, be a songwriter. And he wrote songs for Marion Faithful, The Tremolos, Marmalade, and Peter Noon. Andrew Lo Golden, he was the Stones manager, wasn't he? Yeah. Or producer. Yeah. And oh. he signed with Andrew when he was the Stones manager. So he was doing his thing in the 60s. He was trying to get out, you know, trying to be a songwriter. He actually issued a single in 1971 under the name of Eric Elder. But then he decided to get into managing people. So he uh, he signed two people. His first two signings were artist management signings. First one was Carl Douglas, who did. Do you know the song oh, he did? Oh, yep, that, that was Eric Wilson. Guy had a huge worldwide hit. His second signing was Alan Parsons. He signed what, what, what Alan Carl, Parsons. What did, what, what did Carl Wilson do? Or Carl Douglas? Everybody was Kung Fu fighting. Kung Fu fighting, okay. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, second signing was Alan Parsons. He actually signed him. He was his manager as he kind of guided him through all his engineering and producing. But the two met at Abbey Road Studios, and uh, they got to talking. And Eric Wilson had been trying to do an album based on Edgar Allan Poe stories for you know, for a while. So they decided to do it. And they, they chose the moniker Alan Parsons Project. They put out that first album. And it did better than they thought it would do. So they got signed. The, the first album was on EMI. Then they got signed to, um, oh, I can't remember. Arista. I think it's Arista. Yep, yep. Songs on that debut album that I might have heard on the radio? No, not at all. It's a oh, fabulous well. album. It's very English. Um, Orson Welles recorded some narration for it, but he sent the tapes too late because the album got pressed already, so they pressed the album. But then for the reissue years later, uh, Alan Parsons remixed the whole thing and put yeah, yeah put his That's narration right. on it. What year did that come out? Uh, 75. 75. 75, yeah. I love And uh, it's it's a, you know, I almost want to say that's the album you all should listen to, but it's not going to be the album you listen to. Um, but it was very, it's very artsy, very, uh, not dark, you know. Uh, it, it's a lot of people said that it didn't scare them the way they thought it would be a scary album. No, it wasn't. You know, Edgar Allan Poe was a poet. But anyway, after but that first, they were a studio band. Excuse me. How much yeah. time did they actually spend in the studio? Like, did they spend six months doing they, the first record or anything like that? Or I'm not sure of the timeline, but I'll tell you, Alan would spend as much time just like Steely Dan as needed on right. the first album. On some songs, he used Pilot as the band, the whole, whole band Pilot. And on mm. other songs, he used Ambrosia, who he was also producing at the time. You're kidding. Yeah, yeah but Perry, uh, the band Ambrosia, you know the hits, right? How much I feel, feel for you, babe. And their other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were a prog band. I never knew that, Mark, until recently. I didn't first, know that either. Yeah, yeah I, I, heard, I heard an album cut. I heard a deep cut album. Like, like what is this? It was a long song. And it goes, that was Ambrosia. I'm like, wow. They had, they had a song fun. called "Nice, Nice, Very Nice," which is very mm. probably it's 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 very laid back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. California band. Yep. And um, yeah, they you could thank Alan Parsons for getting them on the scene. Yeah. Um, but after they did that first album, they did an album called "I Robot," which really exploded. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you know the song. The the one hit single off is called "I Wouldn't Want to Be Like You." It's, Wouldn't want to be like you. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That was a hit. That was a bonafide. I Robot was seventy seven, and I'm correcting myself. Tales uh, the the first album was actually seventy six. Tales of 
and mystery and imagination. So iRobot comes out. It had a cover picture of a robot. It was the year Star Wars came out. Everybody was into that stuff. So I think that kind of helped it. It's a great album. Very, very good album. What I like about it is they do out-and-out pop. Then they'll do some almost soft rock songs. And then you get some crazy, proggy thing with choirs singing. That's what I love about Alan Parsons. Something a lot of people consider... Go ahead. Were they compared to maybe 10 CC at one point or maybe kind of confused? Ah, uh, yeah, probably. In right. fact, Alan Parsons had some, uh, he's, he's kind of been connected with, uh, with, uh, who was those, those two guys that were in 10 CC? Godly and Cream. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And Eric Wilson too. He had kind of, oh. they helped him get his first, uh, single out as a solo artist. So, um, but yeah, that, that iRobot, it, it charted. It was big in the U.S. Oddly enough, they didn't tour. And, but they were still successful in the U.S. They were successful in Europe, South America. Oddly enough, South American countries that predominantly spoke Brazilian, not just Brazil, but there's a hmm. couple other areas, and Portugal. Don't understand that one, but they never toured. So that's kind of the amazing thing about them is that they had all these fans, you know. Um, well, they speak Portuguese in Brazil. Yeah, that's what I say. But there's a couple other countries with Brazilian, you know. Um, it was just something kind of weird that I saw is that they were popular in Brazilian speaking countries. Yeah. Um, so they did iRobot. Then they had a couple more albums that they're really good, but they didn't really have big singles, but they still did well. They did uh, Pyramid and Eve and all these albums, they were theme albums. They had like a theme behind them. So iRobot obviously was just about computers and are they going to, you know, how smart are they going to get? Pyramid was about greed. Eve was about women. Won't go in there. But in 1980, they had a big hit. They put out Turn of a Friendly Card. And remember Games People Play? Yep. Uh, yeah, that's that was on that. WNEW in the city here in New York played it constantly. And that was the album that I bought first. I thought, hey, you know, that's a great album. That's about gambling. And uh, so, so yeah, that's about, that song's about gambling or the album? The, whole, the, the theme of the album, basically, well, the second side is a whole suite. You know, about gambling, but it's they their songs tend to follow a certain theme on each album, which I that's what I liked about it. Yeah, but being as they never toured, did they do like did they ever go on like Top of the Pops or like the Jules Holland show or anything? They did one concert with the original lineup in 1990. They were at. Do you ever hear of a BBC show called A Night at the Proms? They did that, and hmm. it's a great show. Great show because. It, it was the rawest of the BBC shows. It was not like there was no, you get up there, you do this. I, the band just played live. The Who did one of them. Motorhead did a couple. So when they did that, though, it was funny that Alan Parsons wasn't on stage. He was behind the mixing console. And Eric Wolfson was just totally off stage. He, the, the cameras never even got him. That's that's the kind of band they were. They got the, the artists that were on the earlier albums on Night of the Problems. You didn't even see Alan Parsons. I find that very unique. It's not like Steely Dan. Donald Fagan's always up there, you know. Right. Uh, but yeah, I would like to see that. I haven't seen him. That's the only show with the original band. Wow. Yeah. They, all, they, um, made, they, made, they made promotional videos, even like before MTV, I think. Yeah. You know, some little, yeah. little films. So they were, as long as you had those rock and roll shows, the late night, and radio play too, but, you know. Yeah. They're, they're, they're interesting. You'd be surprised how many, I was surprised how many hits they had when you hear the song pop up and you're driving your car, you're like, another one by them yeah they were good yeah. they were really good though they're great sounding yeah. records the records obviously oh, they, yeah. sound, they sound to me i mean stylistically yeah. you know it's not the point if you look at it from like a producer's point of view or a, you know they sounded really good on the radio 
but you know, it's a very, it was that late seventies period, you know, music had a certain, it's well, kind of slick in a way, but it was really good. It's hard, Lou, because like the one thing I didn't like about when I was, a, I think I was like 18 years old, I bought the vinyl of Turn of a Friendly Card thinking, you know, I'm going to love this album. And I hated the drum sound because I didn't mm. like that, that it's the Don Henley drum sound. Yeah, that was yeah. what people wanted then. So yeah. I kind of like put it on the shelf. I didn't listen to it for years. And then I pulled it back out and I, now I appreciate it. Um, but uh, after they did Turn of a Friendly Card, their big hit was Eye in the Sky, that album, because that had Eye in the Sky. It has that little instrumental called Sirius, which is right. what the Chicago Bulls used for years during the dynasty. That's that little, yeah. And that's the lead wanted, into Eye in the Sky, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. Leads into it, yeah. And I remember hearing WNEW play that. Like, I was like, I was like, oh, this is cool. And that's when I really started to like them because that's a little, to me, it was proggy. I was, again, I was just, you know. Um, but it also had a song called Time. I don't know if you remember that one. Time flowing like a river. I think I, I may know. have heard that one. Yeah, yeah kind of, yeah. yeah. That was a big one. And then they put out a few more albums. They had one more big hit with Don't Answer Me, which was on MTV. It was a really neat video. It had a um, had like a, a kind of a cartoonish imagery. But Alan Parsons did it. As somebody said to him in the studio, why don't you make the song sound like a um, like echoey, you know? And so, yeah, he was, uh, yeah, so he just pushed all the echo faders up. And it comes out like a classic Phil Spector production. That's, that's yeah. <laughs> It's a that's a great song. Don't answer me. And then they didn't have any hits after that. They put out a couple more albums, and uh, it kind of fizzled. They kind of went their separate ways. But Alan restarted Alan Parsons' project. What he did is he started performing live years later under Eric Wilson's uh, blessing, and uh, it's called the Alan Parsons Live Experience. If I'm right there, da, da, da. anyway. Um, and then, you know, he's been touring. Eric Wilson, unfortunately, died in, in 2009. He did a bunch of Broadway-style plays, and he got into that. That was his big thing. So he he did some stuff after that. But it's a very condensed, probably 10 years, eh, 14 years. And they put out albums their own way. They did what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Alan Parsons, I know he wanted success, but he also did did it his way. He's incredibly stubborn, just like Lynn's Johns. I don't know if those two ever were together in the same room, but they kind of remind me of each other. I met Alan Parsons at an audio engineering society convention. Cool. Most giving guy. He gave me, he couldn't speak to me for long, but he gave me his attention when I asked him some questions about EQing and mastering. He is concerned with recording in this day, staying at a high quality. He does a lot to help uh, mentor young people that want to get into it. I learned a lot from him. I have a few of his books. He still puts videos up online, some free, some pay for, but the guy is just concerned about music sounding good. And, and in this day and age of people recording in their bedrooms, and sometimes they sound good and sometimes it doesn't sound good. I think giving young people these little tips is, is keeping music sounding good. That that's his goal. Yeah. 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 There's actually a genre called bedroom pop. <laughs> it's been around for a so while. The Alan Parsons project is no longer. They're defunct. Uh, Alan Parsons goes out on his own and he does Alan Parsons project songs. So he's got a he's got a kind of a steady band now. I'd like to see him, but um uh yeah, he's he's actually touring right now and he's put out Alan Parsons right. albums really? under his own name and they're very good. If they're a little glossy at times. Um well, wasn't it wasn't he adamant about not using well known singers though? Those lead singers yeah. like I never heard I don't know who they are. I've read some of the names, but I'm not sure. 
But well, like, I don't think, you know, they weren't well known from like, well, you know, like was it uh, Mike and the Mechanics? You know, the singers Mike Rutherford used were well known. Paul Carrick was well known. Paul Young was well known. I think he used relatively unknown singers. He did. He, he used a lot of different singers. Uh, early on, the record labels wanted him to use Eric Wilson because Eric Wilson has a very soft voice where like time, eye in the sky, that's Eric Wilson. But oh, okay. oh. Alan Parsons, he wanted to use more professional singers. So like on different albums, he's had Gary Brooker from Purple Harem. Uh, he used oh. Arthur Brown on the first album, Crazy World of Arthur Brown. But I he also that. used... Yeah, and for a long time, he had Colin Blundstone. I don't know if you know where he's from, but he's from the Zombies. From the Zombies. Yeah. yeah, and he was on a bunch of uh, albums. And there's there's wow. other singers, John Miles. There were more of English pop singers. Um, but then later on, he kind of went into just using Eric Wilson more. And Eric Wilson gave him some of their biggest hits. So they sh it was good, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so hey, some people find him boring. I, you know, I don't push him on anybody, but I think that it's it's – as, as successful as they were and how respected they are, I still think they're unappreciated by a lot of people. I agree, and Mark. His, and, and yeah. I, like we said, I thought they were good, but I thought there was, just, there was something I thought dull about it. But that yeah. was just my personal, in, at the time, what I wanted to. Like, I, I didn't, I liked the songs, but I thought there was, that, there was a certain sonic thing. With, but here it's in very just, downbeat. Yeah, it's very in, in a way, in a way, Perry, yeah. I mean, a, a yeah. lot of the music that at that time was, but when I, when I listened to them in retrospect, I heard like Sirius before, on the sky, I said, I, I, I agree. I said, this, they were a, that's made me think they were a prog band in yeah, a lot of ways. Yeah, Except yeah. the drumming wasn't prog. The drumming was very straight ahead. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't complicated time signatures. On these, but, at least on the songs I've heard. It's ironic because Alan Parsons and Eric Wilson are British, but they had that American sound on the drums. And that's probably what I didn't like about when I first heard them. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, driving. And that's also ironically what I was saying is they were popular in North America, South America, mm -hmm. Europe. Never had a top 40 hit in England. Maybe it's because of that sound they had. Wow. Yeah. Well, you think about what was going on in England at the time. I'm not, not to say it's unjust, but like, like the 80s, you know, what was it, a lot of pop new wave. But they, maybe they were considered a little too, maybe not dinosaur, but just kind of. Hey, you know, when they put else, out the first know. album, Prague was still big, but they probably weren't Prague enough. It was kind of a. a they were before synth pop. Yeah. Then. The late '80s, the late '70s was punk was big, and they're still doing that pop. It's it. They had a, a pop sound to it. Yeah. And then yeah, in the '80s when they well they did get big because pop was big, but they weren't doing it like anybody else, you know. But you're right. That what I used to not like about him is what I like about him now. I said Eric Wilson, what is this? Some Tony Bennett out? Like the way he sings, huh. you know? <laughs> Definitely. Like um, uh, I understand. He's, he's crooning. It's a crooning song. Yeah, yeah. Singing, and it right? gets in your head. Yeah, you can't get I, it out of yeah. your head. Yeah, oh, it's a great melody. It's a great smooth vocal. I mean, his voice sounded great on the radio. It's a very yeah. radio friendly voice. But so you want to still produce? Alan Parsons, he's, uh, you know, I don't, I think, yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> this is for Tom. I can't think because I don't have any wine in my glass, but he did engineer, I'm holding it up, Steve Wilson's second solo album. That's for you, Tom. So, yeah, he does still get behind the chair, but he engineered. He didn't produce because nobody can produce Steve Wilson. He produces oh. and stuff. Um, you know, and he's really in the education side of things. He devotes a lot of time to educating young people that want to be recording engineers, and I think that's great. I think, uh, I think you, well, both of you guys might have sent some videos, um, interviews with him on our, our uh, text feed. Yeah, uh, some interviews with Alan Parsons. Just talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah you do. And just talking about you know like the quality of, of the quality of music and maintaining the sonic quality of it. 
right. So he, he reissued all their albums and I, in one crazy manic shopping thing, I got them all on Amazon and now I play the CDs and I'm like, Oh, those, even though the drums may sound like Don Henley, they're still, they, they, they're just even level. He, he knows how to do everything and he turned it up. It sounds like you're watching a movie. He always wanted to be like a director, you know, he like a, he wanted to be the director of engineers and he did it, did a good job on it. So a little slick for people, but, uh, I love him. And Tom, he produced Steve Wilson. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> well, I have to make a correction, Lou. Yeah. The other week I had said that uh, about, uh, I, I said, oh, I heard a Marshall Crenshaw song called uh, You're My Favorite Mistake. Right. And you said, well, it's not the same song as Sheryl Crow, but really it was You're My Favorite Waste of Time. Oh, okay. It was the Marshall Crenshaw song Marshall I Crenshaw. was talking about. So I lost my head. So once again, I was, I was wrong. <laughs> you pulled a fun. You jumped the shark. <laughs> you know, Marshall Crenshaw wrote a song with the, or for the gin blossoms. Really? Did I find a way? Now, Mark, is there an Alan Parsons project album that we were supposed to listen to? Yes, there was. And this is going to be the, the uh, launch of our new segment. If you guys want to do this. Each week, let's re let's uh, recommend an album to the other two to listen to and come back the next week and say what they think of it. Sounds great. Sounds like shit. Whatever they want to say. So I'm going to recommend this week The Turn of a Friendly Card by Alan Parsons. I was deciding which album to pick. I almost wanted to say the first one, but let's do Turn of a Friendly Card. A lot of people consider it to be their peak. It's not Eye in the Sky, but it's, it's, a, it's an epic recording. Okay. So go and give it a listen. See what you think. I'll put on the Spitify. Spitify, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll find it on Apple. Apple. There you go. <clears throat> You're a Spotify, right? I'm an Apple guy. I thought you had Spotify, too. I do, but I'm an Apple guy. Hey, I got the Apple's Apple. oranges, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay. What's, what's next? Wildly unprofessional. Okay. What's next? I have a recording studio. I'd like to talk about if you guys want to go into it. Yeah, sure. Have Love you ever record. heard of a recording studio? That's called RSM. No, don't know. It's the Rolling Stones mobile. Oh, ah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah. And some of the records that were recorded using this, obviously, we know that Exile on Main Street. And uh, they recorded another one. They recorded Sticky Fingers hmm. using the uh, their mobile. Where did they now? Where did they actually perform the music when they recorded mobile? Like, is the theater uh, a chateau in the south of France? Well, well, that was in France for Exile on Main Street. They just ran the cables through the yeah. building, you know, down into the basement or whatever it was. Yep. As far as Sticky Fingers, I don't know where they recorded that, but had to be at a house or you know somewhere. I think that may have been the one that may have been partially recorded at Headley Grange, which is where Led Zeppelin recorded too. Well, Star I'm going to get into that because yeah. not everyone knows Led Zeppelin three and Led Zeppelin four were recorded using the Rolling Stones mobile. Didn't know that. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. Wow. And at uh, well, at Headley Grange, most of them like now I, they this is where they they recorded there, but I think they go to like Olympic Studios to do the mixing and everything once they're done with the recording. But yeah, Led Zeppelin three and Led Zeppelin four were recorded at Headley Grange using the Rolling Stones mobile. 
So I guess you just rent it. You know the Deep Purple Machine Head story, right? With yeah. the smoke on the water and all that, right? Frank Zappa and the Mothers. And and Deep Purple also recorded Burn using the Rolling Stones mobile. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've seen, I think I've seen pictures of it. Uh, now, that was, was that a novel idea at the time? I mean, it's not, think about it. I mean, look, that must have made a pretty penny. Uh, that must be a high fee to rent that. I wonder, well, guess, I wonder if it came with engineers. Did it come with a crew? Guess whose idea it was? Mick. Who? Their piano player, Ian Stewart. Ian? Really? Wow. Talked them into doing this. Said it, was a, it said it was a great idea. It was his idea. It, it was wow. his brainstorm to do this. Hope he got a piece yeah. of it because you know he, he was a guy. He would, they wouldn't let him be a real stone, although he was there from the beginning. And yeah. now they they the uh, well, apparently bad. it had. There's you ever hear of these mixing consoles called Helios? They're really famous consoles. The Rolling Stones Mobile had the second Helios console ever made. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Was that an so English made one? Um, Neil Young recorded Harvest. Using the Rolling Stones mobile. Oh wow! Did he go to England or did they ship it over to America? No, they probably yeah they probably you know that's a good point. I don't know. I don't how know. Big, how big was the damn thing? Yeah, maybe he rented a country house in the UK or something. Yeah, well, I got to tell you what. Yeah. Uh, Deep Purple recorded "Burn" in Montreux, Switzerland. So they got. I'll check on uh, Neil Young. They all came down to Montreux, didn't they? <laughs> like Geneva Shoreline. <laughs> Hey, can I add something in there, Perry? I hope I don't have. Wait, I this do is that records with a mobile, this, or is it? It's about Mark. This is what yeah. it's about. Yeah. So when Zeppelin were recording for, I believe the story is that Stones had just finished up recording, and uh, Ian stayed on, and he's that's why he plays piano on rock and roll because he was part of the the mobile truck, and he's like they're, they're riffing on rock and roll, and there's, there's Ian Stewart playing the the piano. He's also mm-hmm. on a. That led up with rock and roll. It's Ian Stewart yep. on piano. Yep. And in is those he, sessions, the... oh, in those sessions was Boogie with Stu, which appeared on Physical Graffiti. So he was just hanging That's out. My so I guess the, the the Rolling Stones mobile came with Ian Stewart. You know, <laughs> it was his brainstorm. Yeah. Uh, so Bob Marley recorded there. Iron Maiden recorded using the mobile. Wow. Uh, Frank Zappa, Santana, who. Apparently, just passed out on stage or something yeah. last yeah. week, and eating uh, shashim. So he's told to like you know lighten up on the touring schedule, take some, take a breath, take a break, drink some Gatorade. Um, Lou Reed did a record called "Live in Italy" using the Rolling Stones mobile. So I guess they can bring that thing anywhere. I guess they can move it. I want to. Does it like um, double as a food truck? Or, or, or roach coach. <laughs> Can they open up one side of it and serve you like bacon and egg cheese sandwiches and stuff? Well, The Who recorded using the Rolling Stones mobile. Live at Leeds. Nazareth. <laughs> and Wishbone Ash. Hmm. Yep. Overlooked band. And Motorhead also. So there's so many bands that use the, that use the uh, Rolling Stones mobile. I wonder if it's still around. You know, that's a good point. I don't know. They built it in 1968. It was built by the chief engineer technician of Olympic Studios. That was the guy who they hired to build it. Yeah. I I hope it didn't end up getting just trashed and taken apart. It should be in a museum. 
But yeah. I want to know something now. When the Stones recorded in France for Exile, there was no yeah. tunnel. There was no channel back then. Did they just put that thing on a on a uh, ferry? Bar- like a barge or something. Yeah. Or, uh, probably. Yeah, probably. This did. is so yeah. cool. And then they drove it to France, you know, and oh, in, in Perry, isn't doesn't Glenn's Johns talk about that in his autobiography, driving it somewhere too? He was he was like with the guy that was driving it somewhere. They went out had a steering wheel? Had <laughs> an engine <laughs> wheels. It was like it's like a big R V, I guess, right? Man, what went on on that thing? Wow. But you know, it's funny, through all the Stones years, all the, the drugs and all this, they kept a, a modem of quality. Like they had the Rolling Stones mobile. It was also a, an investment for them. They made money off it too. I would think, I mean. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. So it was conceived by Ian Stewart and it was built by uh, Dick Sweetingham. He was the chief engineer at Olympic Studios. He was the guy that they contracted to uh, build it. He was like and Scotty it from Star Trek. Helios uh, console ever built. I never, I never heard of Helios. I've heard of Sec. Other well, things. Helios, I never, I never... Pretty famous. Uh, yeah. Pretty famous company. When how yeah. many uh, how many channels? You know, was it twenty four? Oh, I'm sure it was like sixteen tracks or something oh, at least. Right, right. You know, maybe eight to start, but it got upgraded in night. It was built in sixty eight. They upgraded it in nineteen seventy three. Well, I'm sure in 73 it went to, you know, 16, 20, 24 tracks, at least whatever. 24 yeah. track, yeah. State yeah. of the art of the time. Yeah. But Rolling Stones Mobile. Very cool. Many more records that I haven't probably haven't even mentioned have been recorded using that. Yep. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you mentioned things that we, we would know. Wow. It's, it, it was the first of its kind because after that we did have mobile recording studios, but yeah, they were the first to do it. Now I gotta say I kind of piggybacked on it with single wide studios, and uh, those kind of <laughs> a very a very poor man's imitation of that uh, completely. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. yours. But I brought produced some stuff in there. SWS, SWS. Uh, both of you guys have recorded at, at... Studios didn't have wheels on it. No, no, no. Was no? It wasn't meant for that. <laughs> Yeah, but we recorded I, I there and slept that, there. We slept there, album, too. Yeah, that's right. Oh, it was fully accommodated. It was a chef. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. We recorded an album called Traces there. Yeah? I don't know if you guys have heard of Traces. You know. I have, yeah. yeah. It's an yeah. EP. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll do some stuff down in this place. You know, the the Red, Shed, Red Shed Ranch Recorders. Yeah. Well, you know what? We'll have to, uh, we'll have to figure out what's the first song going to be recorded there, right? Maybe in what October, late September. I can do it. Um, actually, November, December out. Oh, you don't want to be here. Now. No, that's holiday season. I got to think about that because kicking in the holidays, I have to. Time off is limited until after. You know, we'll, after January. We'll work it out. We'll work we'll it work out. It whatever, out. whatever we do, will be on the show. Whatever you we guys record. come, you guys come down. I'll work. You just trash the place, and I'll just come after work and record. <laughs> and go to work again. Yeah, we'll all bring up all night. We'll uh, we'll live stream a show from yeah. Red Shack or the Red Ranch or Red Shed Ranch. Yeah. Hey, Pe- hey Perry, Lou's got a TV. Let's throw it out the window. Yeah. That's right. Here in beautiful Swana <laughs> Nowhere, Kella, North Carolina. North Carolina. <laughs> Swana Nowhere. And I found out that's what people call it here. I, I told someone, I said, I moved to Swana Nowhere. He goes, Oh, yeah, Swana Nowhere. <laughs> Where are you from? Yeah, guys. So, what the hell else is going on? I got an album I'd like to talk about. Sure. sure. Love to hear. Talk about. Uh, Get that paper turned. That's right. I, got, I, I take notes, man. I take notes. 
Um, one so, page enough. And last week's one, we mentioned um, whatever the hell we were talking about, one of our little pop quizzes, uh, summer songs. Um, and the, the Kinks came up. Uh, yeah. and we started, actually, we started off the uh, extemporaneous conversation about the Kinks. We were like, Mark said we could have gotten the whole show with the Kinks. And I realized at, at many points in their career, they were the greatest English rock and roll band ever. Many times yeah. they, can, they can share that with, with Led Zeppelin and everyone else. Very unique to themselves. Um, as a writer, no one else liked him. He was a rock and roll ball sack. Um, but I, I listened to the album Face to Face from 1966. It's their fourth record. It is, I, I'm, I've been listening to it. It's amazing. It, it's an amazing record. It's a, uh, a departure for them. It's a departure from that power pop, you know, those singles, You Really Got Me, all that, you know, those great, great power pop singles. Um, he went to that more that kind of pastoral type of writing, more Baroque pop, um, using, you know, harpsichords. Uh, there's a song on this album, this is 66, where there's a heavy in, Indian influence with the percussion, raised vocal, before mm. Sgt. Pepper, uh, yeah, before Within You, Without You, or even Got to Hide Your Love Away, had that sitar. But, I mean, I think this might have predated some of that, given they recorded it in 65. Yeah. Um, it was... It was um, the, the, the uh, one I heard is on Spotify. It was a, a mono mix. It was a deluxe edition, all mono mixes. It sounds amazing. All coming out of the same speakers. Um, the balance, the recording, uh, every instrument sounds great. I mean, they were so cool. They had such energy. And I, I give Mick Avery some shit sometimes because there were times I mentioned like the 80s big yeah, rock era, yeah, which I love. Yeah, yeah, yep. It was just a, a production, you know, but he was a great drummer um, on some of the stuff because he's not the drummer on all of it, as I found out. Um, so the record, it, it was a, it was a kind of a disappointment for ourselves. It, it, number 12 in the UK and 135 in the US, but it had that hit single Sunny Afternoon, uh, which is a great song. And it's, you know, the whole album is a loose concept, they said, but it's all uh, a lot of social commentary about the working class. And even back then, some of the song titles, um, very, in, always in its time. It was in its time then. It's in its mm -hmm. time now, as you see the cost of everything going up in the middle class being what it is not anymore. So, so that um, would be like the first album where they really started to focus on social yeah. uh, issues and well, then like you know, continued with Muswell Hillbillies, which okay, was another well, one the same. Right. Well, well they continued in, in the album before that, I forgot the name where they had like a well-respected man, yeah. um, dedicated follower of fashion. So those were some oddball tracks. But when I, in my reading, it said that Sunday afternoon on the next album, this face to face album, Prove to the record company and the Kinks themselves that they could move into this new direction, which at that point was called the golden age of the Kinks from 66 to 71 with the beautiful Waterloo sunset, Victoria, Lola, um, going into that, which is their, their exile period because they couldn't tour in the States. Um, but um, it, in retrospect, it's got a more critical acclaim. And, it's, and there's a book called The 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. It's in that. I don't know what the listing is where it sits in that thing. Um, but Sunday Afternoon was the number one hit single in the UK. So even though the album was a bit of a disappointment, that was a number one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, there's some standout tracks in there, I thought, if you guys listen to it. In fact, this is <clears throat> my album I think you should listen to for next time. Uh, a song called Session Man. It's a great song. A Rainy Day in June, very different. Very different song. Almost cinematic. There's timpani on it, but it's not, it's not over the top. Um, I was totally blown away. The singing, the writing, the, the playing is fantastic. Um, the reason that I started listening to the, the this album, it reminded me again, because I was driving home from work the other day, I heard a song, um, Underground Garage, A House in the Country. I'm like, this is freaking great garage rock. It's a kinks, you know? Um, a Sunny Afternoon is on that. Um, 
but once again, his his writing was just spot on. But the producer of this stuff, ever hear a guy named Shell Talmy? Oh yeah. Okay, he's still alive. He's born in nineteen thirty-seven. He's a producer. He's still alive. Yeah. Um, he's also he, he's, he's a pretty cool thing. Uh, he's in the uh, a high IQ association called the Triple Nine Society. It's people who are above the ninety nine point nine percentile. They're just really smart people, um, and he's in that. Um, but he was a producer, songwriter, ranger. Um, his track record he produced: "You Really Got Me," "All Day and All the Night," "Tired of Waiting for You," "Set Me Free," "Till the End of the Day," "Dedicated Follower," "Well Respected Man," uh, "Sunny Afternoon," "Waterloo Sunset" by the Who. He uh, produced "I Can't Explain," "Anyhow, Anywhere," and "Anyway, Anyhow, Anywhere." My generation, legal matter. The kids are all right. He produced wow. a very uh, a David Bowie song when he was in a band called the Manish Boys. Called "I Pity the Fool." <laughs> um, he produced Chad and Jeremy's "A Summer Song." But huh. then I I raised that the drummer on some of those songs. You know, remember this this controversy where the Jimmy Page played the guitar solo on "You yeah. Got Me." So I think we're pretty sure he most assuredly did not. He played rhythm guitar on any King song. He did not play solos. That is Dave yeah, Davies, Perry Perry, with, with the rip cone. So that's been laid the rest. But the drummer on those songs was a guy named Bobby Graham, an English drummer named Bobby Graham, who I've discovered he's the Hal Blaine of England. Um, he's this, um, Shell Tommy said he's the greatest drummer the UK ever produced, or one of the greatest drummers. Um, there was like an English very, uh, version of almost like the Wrecking Crew. And it was... Um, Hal Blaine, some guy named um, Big Jim Sullivan, someone named Vic Flick, and Jimmy Page. So Jimmy Page, he did a lot of sessions. These guys were the cream well, of the crop. Vic Flick. Vic Flick. You know, Vic, I, well, tell me about him. Famous guitar player. Is he? Famous how'd you, guitar How did you hear about yeah. him? I mean. He's he... played on hundreds of famous songs. Vic Flick. Oh, yeah. cool. Vic Flick. Yep. Mark, are you, are you checking him out? or? Uh... I'm I'm amazed on one thing about Shel Talmy. He's American. Like, I've all these I didn't, years. I didn't know that. Yeah, so all these years, I I knew about Shel Tommy because I was a big Who fan, reading all the books, Shel Tommy. Yep. And now he's born in Chicago, and he went to England in 1962-63, and wow. boom, he never came back. Yeah, huh. he lives in L.A. now, though. So. Okay. Wow. Yeah, he's almost like, 90 years old now, I mean. So yeah. he, had I, a, he, I, had the, he had the ear of the, the British music scene. Hmm. He was American. <laughs> that is so cool. That is so cool. Yeah. I'm a, an opposite thing, you know, so he was, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Well, the American, I guess the American ears, I mean, the, 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 you know, the British loved American rock and roll. That's stuff that came through the ports yeah. and Liverpool and all that. Yeah. But if you look um, at Vic Flick, you'll find out how many records the guy played. Huh? I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to. Definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm, I'm wondering who uh, Big Jim Sullivan is now. He's like a bare knuckle boxer or something, you know. Marcus of Queensbury rules, guys. But I mean, <laughs> remember Joe Brown? Did you see the, remember the concert for George Harrison? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe Brown. He's like an English German, great, great, yeah. great musician. Uh, he played with him. Joe Brown's daughter is the, uh, I think she sang in that concert, uh, Horse to Water. I, I forgot her first name. Great singer. Um, anyway, but so he played on um, 13 number one singles uh, Dave Clark Five, Engelbert, Humperdinck, Peter and Gordon, The Kinks, Tom Jones, uh, Dusty Springfield. But so he's on the, uh, you really got me. Um, and apparently play, he, he said he played as hard as he could. He messed, he had an intro apparently for it. He screwed it up, so he just went, Downtown by Petula Clark. Uh, hmm. Green Grass of Home by Tom Jones. He's on that. Wow. And Great song. Yeah. Tom Jones is a great singer. Great yeah. voice. He still has it, too, you know? Yeah. Um, he was on. He, he played on Gloria and Baby Please Don't Go by them with Van Morrison. Wow. Um, I great Only song. Want to Be With You with Dusty Springfield. 
I believe by a band called The Bachelors. I think they were bigger than I know about. I, this sounds kind of familiar. Um, now, with the Dave Clark Five, not to be confused with the Dick Clark Five. That was a whole different band. Um, he did Glad All Over and Bits and Pieces. Perry, can I have a rim shot over here? Come on, man. Help a guy out. You don't have a snare hey, drum over there? Do not be uh, asking Perry for rim shots right now. Come on, come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that was a good. Thank hey. you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Take my wife, please. Yeah, Bobby Graham, the, the, the Hal Blaine of England. The Hal, yeah. Um, that's an, a, that's a, an incredibly varied, like, you really got me and uh, Dusty Springfield. Like, man, yeah, that's, that's wild. That's why they did the sessions. That's why these guys had the greatest careers. I mean, you yeah. know, like I said, you really got me. That's ultimate dirty garage work, which means, you know, these guys were slick, but they were smart. I mean, they, like, uh, who needs to be a rock star when you can do that shit? Yeah, you know, yeah. Go. Imagine the traveling. All these guys do that. You know, I have a. I'm at um, you know, Gold Star at three o'clock, and then I'm going to uh, Sun Recorders at five, and I got you know, go home eat dinner, and that was the way to yeah. do it. You know. Yeah, yeah. And then, then, then play a, a strip club and in LA after that. But the the, the 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 studio musician that that really made me realize how hard they work and how crazy that life is. You remember Will Lee from David Letterman's band, the bass yeah. player? Oh yeah. I, I saw something online, something like a diary in the day of Willie. And first of all, he didn't have a regular bass case. He has a soft shell case because he goes downtown. He does a session at 10 a.m., throws it on his back, gets in a cab, goes up, do whatever, you know, whatever big thing. He'll do like seven sessions in a day, like back by, and he takes a taxi, you know. Yeah. These guys work their butts off. They're yeah. And they're so good. Like they walk in, they play the song. They walk out. They did their thing. And yeah. This is amazing. And he has his own Beatle cover band called the Fab Foe. Really? <laughs> F-A-U-X? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yep. Um, you, you know, catching a cab in Manhattan to go like up, uptown or wherever you got to go for a studio. You know, it, it's it's a hustle. Um, it like is. Said, that, yeah. That's the benefit of reading music, though, because none of us. Uh, do you read music at all, Mark? All I know is every good boy deserves fudge or something is, is the lines. Uh, that's how I can that. remember. I'm a tablature guy. In the early 80s, a magazine called Guitar Player came out that right. made it really easy for us young kids to play guitar by having tablature, which is the six lines, the six guitar strings, and the fret number. And that it kind of ruins you because I tried to learn music after that, and I just I can't read it. It's hard, yeah. Can you? I've, I've seen those, and I, I could never make it happen. Uh, being dyslexic, I couldn't. You know, I just saw a bunch of numbers. I could read the chords. If you, you know, if it just says G, B minor, F, I could so, do so, that. So, Perry, is that where you play when backward you... guitar solos? Is that where you do that? <laughs> yeah. So, Perry, if you read the tab to Smoke on the Water, instead of dan, 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 you're like dan, 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 dan. <laughs> You hey, I'm there too. I, I'm the same way. I'm, I'm the same. And I'm way an now. atheist. There is no dog. <laughs> uh, so, who is this drummer, Lou? So, this uh, fabulous was, drummer. He, well, his name his, his name was he died in 2014 post surgery thing. His name was Bobby Graham. But uh, I'm going to look up Vic Flick. <clears throat> but I think I would like both of you, if you would, if if I may. I ask you to listen to the Kinks face to face. I wrote it your, down. Your life will change. It's just a it's a great record from beginning to end. Every song is really good. Um, just mm. yeah. Well, Lou, I think you already beat me this so week. Your Parsons and the Kinks. What's up, Alan Parsons? Yeah, what was it? Um, the, the turn of a friendly card. Yeah, we're supposed to actually do one a week. We'll do two this week. 
And then Perry next week will hit us up with two to listen to. He'll get back at us. Okay. Now, I mean, that's funny because when, when you do that, um, when we were on milk crates and turntables, um, Scott was talking about maggot brain. So I listened to it after that. I was going to talk about that instead of the kinks, but I just felt the kinks last night, last week was such a buzz with it. I thought we'd just you know, continue along with it. And, but, um, I was, I've, I've heard a couple songs from it, but I listened to the album again last night in its entirety. And it is really good. There's acoustic guitars on there. I mean, on, on the, the album cuts. That but album it, hit, it, me like a, a, it, hit me like a ton of bricks. I can't believe they're from I never Jersey. And yeah, they're from yeah. Jersey. And they're, they're supposed to be this funk band, right? So you get funky, you got acoustic guitars. They're just really good musicians. They're just yeah, playing yeah. music. And it's not everything's bombastic. on the table. Yeah. yeah. Everything's on the table. It was before that funk thing, like in the late 70s, they got into the big stage sets and everything. Like the, the Ohio players and things like that, where it was yeah. great music, but this was very low key. There's yeah. nothing over the top, you know, but it was just, you know, the, the songwriting itself and, you know, the, the oh, yeah. playing, I'm like, like, there was, guy around, a diaper. there was a guy in the band wearing a diaper on stage, right? I, that I was think so. Parliament. It was the, Parliament. That was Parliament. There were two bands. Yeah. There was Funkadelic in Parliament, which was, yeah, they were kind of going synonymously with, um, who was who was the uh, the guy that ran George, both George bands? Clinton. Yeah. George Clinton. So I think Parliament was more. They were the more popular band. They did more pop type music. But yeah, yeah. I think the guy in the diaper was in Parliament. <laughs> oh, okay. It was really me. You know, I'm really 80 years old. <laughs> was that Bootsy Collins in the diaper? And there's always that thing about who created like Bootsy Collins said he was the first guy to slap the bass, but it was really Larry. Um, Larry Graham. Mm. Larry Graham, he okay. was really the one that was the first I, one to do that, like that popping thing, right? Yeah, I heard it was Lewis Johnson from the Brothers Johnson. Yeah, see, there's always going to be that thing. I, I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. that you was know, a good. Like, remember the Brothers Johnson? Remember them? Yeah, yeah. Uh, two well-known hits: "I'll Be Good to You" and the "Strawberry Strawberry Alarm Clock Number Nine. <laughs> I've got the name of it. What is the name um, of that song? Yeah, it was one, yeah, yeah. yeah the, when I hear when I hear Brothers Johnson, I have memories of childhood, hot summer days, the exhaust of leaded gas. I know I've said this before. Certain music <laughs> just brings me back to those times. So this is your it's, version of the hissing of summer lawns. This is the smell oh, of leaded gas. God, hearing the cicada bugs in my backyard. Uh, when I hear that, I listened to a Brothers Johnson album like a month ago on on Spitify, and I was like <laughs> transported that that arm that soul that oh my. God. God, yeah. I just wanted to go outside and it eh, wasn't the same. <laughs> they, were, they weren't a huge, they weren't a big band. They weren't huge. But Lewis Johnson yeah. played a lot of bass on Thriller. I, I think it's him on, really? on Billy, Billy Jean, things like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, how about uh, um, uh, James Jamerson, the Motown bass player? One finger. Doing most yeah. of one finger. Really? Yeah, apparently, yeah. Seriously? I, yeah, that's what I heard. Uh, my, a lot of my bass player friends said he did a lot of stuff with one finger. So did Getty Lee. So did Getty Lee. Yeah, yeah. Right. If you watch him, he's, he's yeah, he's, he's he's really gone in. This well, guy's got a strong finger. Story about how um, when Marvin Gaye was doing the session for What's Going On, they couldn't find James Jamerson, so they went out and they found him at a bar somewhere, and he was pretty messed up. So they brought him back to the studio, and he played he played what you hear on What's Going On on his back, laying on his back in the studio. Wow. Obliterated. And that's what you hear when he plays yeah. on What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. Yeah. And it is fabulous bass. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. It, 
The people can't do that sober. You know, it's just, that's, <laughs> that, that's it, that, uh, you know, a lot of those guys, if you read about the history of the, of the Funk Brothers, there's some, there's a lot of tragedy in there. Um, yeah. Benny Benjamin, he was the main yeah, drummer, yeah. Benny Benjamin. Um, that Phil, oh, Kakatoon, Kakatoon, snare yeah, the yeah. top. That's his Phil. I do it all the time. I can't help it. Um, Phil Collins stole that. He, he, he borrowed that from him. Borrowed but, um, it, yeah. Yeah, he borrowed it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a lick, you know. Um, but, you know, yeah, but that, that's just the life, you know. There's, that, that's amazing bunch of musicians. That you you know, the thing you just said about it being drunk and being able to play, it's some musicians, it's amazing. Like, so I saw Stevie Ray Vaughan at Montclair State College in New Jersey, and he was in the gymnasium, and the show was late. Then the lights go down. He's coming on. He starts to fall. He's coming on stage. He's got his guitar. He's stammering. Someone had to prop him up, and I'm like, oh, this show's going to suck. I immediately, I said, because we've heard, like, Eric Clapton bootlegs where he's drunk, he can't play. Yeah. And I was like, the show's going to be good. I was a teenager. I'm like, oh, no. The minute he started playing, he wasn't drunk. He was standing straight, and he was ripping. And he was great, and he was just doing the solos. Then when the song would finish, he would be a drunk man again. He would start talking too long. Tommy Shannon had to, like, kind of, like, come on, let's get on with it. Once he played the song, so he was amazing. And I don't know how musicians can have that level of chemicals in their bodies, but just turn it on. As, if I drink as, too uh, much, I can't play. You know? No, the drummers, too. I mean, like John Bonham, like his last day he was alive. I don't know what he played like in a rehearsal, but I, mean, I know if, if I drink a beer, like if like a sweaty gig, I can have a two beers in the course of the gig. I won't do yeah, it. Two but, beer limit. That's the limit, yeah. But no, normally anything after that, but like, I wouldn't be able to play. I, I, I couldn't be balanced. I couldn't, you know, I, I don't amazing. know. amazing. How about this? this is a great category. Uh, top 10 piss artists. <laughs> artists that could play totally shit fit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's. Well, Mark will say Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, I would say Bonham. I mean, or, or Keith yeah. Moon. You know, that, I would I, say I Bonham say. over Keith Moon because Keith Moon was allowed to go off beat a little bit. It was okay. He could, yeah. Was yeah, he, yeah he was allowed to pass out on stage and they call somebody up from the crowd. Yeah. To play that's, that's right. That's right. Oh, man. But I'll Ooh. tell you what. As what a how, about, how about whatever happened to that kid? How about like whatever happened to yeah. that drummer that, like, yeah, somebody you know, should follow it up. Oh, by the way, Lou, you know, you're, you're a Spotify guy. You and Mark are Spotify guys. So you can compile a Van Halen cover thing. Yeah. And put it up on Spotify. You can do yeah, that. You can make a you can make a playlist. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. You can make a Van Halen cover <laughs> playlist, and I think it would be pretty cool. I'm, hey, I'm sure it's it's probably been done. You know, I'm, I'm sure it has. Hey Lou, I'm, I'm, that, man. No, you know I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna look that. I'm gonna do it, and it's gonna be on the Music Relish Facebook page if anyone wants to hear it. All right. Has anyone been to the Music Relish Facebook page? I have. We are we are racking up the ratings on YouTube, people. You I do not have Facebook, so uh... <laughs> come on, Buck, get on Facebook way, again. A couple, a couple of weeks ago, really we were in, uh, a couple <laughs> of weeks ago, we were in Sugarloaf, New York, which is a little hippie village. It's actually all, they're all witches. They're witches and stuff, you know. I got a town. Yeah, and but anyway, they have a pavilion up there, like a pavilion center. Blue Oyster Cult is playing up there. <laughs> when? Oh, wait, wait. Did, did you see them? I did did not Bouchard? She said, you know, she said, well, let's go, let's go, let's go. But I, I don't know about when the date is or the tickets or whatever, you know. And I, Okay, I, I'm on a Blue Oyster Cult fan page, and um, I have to tell you, it is the nicest. Everyone on this page, there's not one douchebag comment has not been made. I was on the band appreciation page. I quit after I complained to the administrators. 
about all this vitriol and then it went political. I'm like, what the hell? Come on, stop. You know, it's the blue just about the page, music. Yeah. Yeah. The BOC page, it is so cool. And everyone is so everyone's so awesome. It's an older page, you know. Um, but the reviews from their latest shows are very good. Their last album, Perry, I gotta say, I mean, they lost me in nineteen eighty one, except for a few songs here and there. But the last record, I'm like, it's heavy. Um, yeah. they sound really good. So this is it's a a return to form for a band that yeah. really peaked in eighty one. Well, yeah. You know, yeah, or, then, or started in I mean, for a band that's been around that long, yeah, you're going to lose track of them. Like, I've lost track of Wilco, you know, for yeah, oh, me too. There it is. Cling your, cling your glass, Mark. <laughs> There's the Wilco reference. I've lost yeah, track of them, yeah. you know, and uh, that's just the way it is when bands have been around a long time. Yeah. You know, Not I, everything I, is going to be fabulous. Not everything yeah. is going to be genius. And but when, you, when think, you're talking 50 years, 50, about yeah. 50 years, that, that's pretty yeah. amazing, you know. And then, and then sometimes bands will put out albums you really like and you don't like it. So you kind of look like, uh, back in the nineties, I fell out with REM and, uh, what's that, what's that I album know. I have, uh, adventures in hi-fi. I came out, I gave it no attention. I remember driving to work. I hear, Oh, they have a new song. I couldn't care less. Ebo the letter. I turn up, Anthony buys me the vinyl and I listen to it and I'm like, this is a freaking great album. It is. Never give yeah. it the chance, you yeah. know? But can I say something? And I think I'm repeating myself, but Lou, you talked about music appreciation pages. I am sick and tired of, all right, so someone will put up um, Iron Maiden, Killers. They'll say, this is the best Iron Maiden album. How about you preface it with, in my opinion, this is the best, or this is my favorite Iron Maiden album. I am so sick of people with their, you know, this is the best, and your, the album you like sucks. It, can we just like that album moves right. me? I like it, so I like it. Yeah. Don't put me down. You know. Can we do it? Can we do it without contention? Yeah. It's always like you know. The, some people say Michael Jordan was the best basketball player ever. He was one of the best of his time. Yeah. But there's always going to be other ones that come along that you know After. are. Yeah. yeah. Those that came before. Um, so just yeah. saying, like you know, this is the best ever. Is, it's just silly to yeah, yeah. say anything like that. It's all contentious, you know, and it becomes the thing where you know, like I said, yeah. we make. I've, I've misspoke about some things. We all have, you know. We make so, yeah. correction. But Absolutely. now somebody could, someone could have responded to you, parents said, "You really need to get your facts straight, man." You know about the Elvis Costello song. Where it's just like, I mean, I we knew, I knew, you know, I know what you meant, you knew what you meant, but it was just you know, a matter of words getting mixed up somewhere. Yeah. I've done it too. You know, we've all corrected ourselves. A little relish recap type thing but it doesn't have to be contentious it doesn't hey guys listen i get critiqued every monday or whenever the show posts by tom the next day so i have all my mistakes pointed out to me by tom (laughs) wait when are we going to start having guests yeah we we have some invitations out there mark did you shut your microphone off I was pouring my glass of wine. I didn't want everybody to hear it. I'm sorry. I, I, I can I can almost hear it. Yeah, I can almost hear it. <laughs> I just zipped my insulated bag closed. Yes, I keep a bottle of yellowtail wine in an insulated bag. I am trash. I know. Smart, I smart. No, you're a smart man. Yeah, it has to be a certain temperature. I have some sad yeah. news to report. Some sad news to report. What's that? I've had this. I've had this guitar strap. I bought it. Robbie's music. Um, it's, a, it's just a brown with that nylon thing. It's a very simple guitar strap. I just happen to like it. I played it. It's, it that, that strap has been on a guitar is playing a lot of gigs. The last night I was playing my Gretsch, and I was, I was standing up. I usually play sitting down. I was standing up, um, whirling about the place like a dervish. Anyway, the guitar falls, and I catch it. Like, oh, 
Oh. I, the strap severed. It looked like someone came by with a scissor and did this perfect across the strap cut, like a surgical cut. I'm like, how'd that happen? It's just weird. I didn't, didn't notice any stress, any when I put it back on. I didn't That's notice weird. That. It looks like someone came by with a, with, with a Ginsu knife and just and flicked the damn thing. I'm, I'm like, I, I like holding I, It's weird. I'm, I'm sentimental about things. Like, I've had this thing for 27 years at least. It's been Robbie's music and. You're from New Jersey. It was an iconic place, Bever Perry. You got we've all been yeah, there. Yeah. Well, Mark, we ever Robbie's the, the big barn in Ramsey yeah, up in Route yeah. 17 near my old high school. Your old Don Bosco yeah, uh, prep. It's, it's gone. But, um, we did everything that we could. It's gone. It's gone. You bought stuff it's there. I, you, you bought the seagull that you uh, I paid you back for. The seagull at the S6 was up there. I got my Simmons drum kit through Robbie's music. The first I had one of those first plastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My elbows still hurt. But, um, but Neil Peart had one. Neil Peart had one, so I wanted yeah. to get one. Yeah. And I did. Mine Listen, was red. I got to say something here, and this is for Perry. I had to, Lou, you talk about a guitar strap. I had to buy my first guitar strap in, like, years. I didn't know what to do, so I went on Amazon. And uh, I picked this out. It's made by Perry Leathers in Canada. A Perry hmm. Leathers guitar strap. Nice. So we know that you own a company. You're not telling us. Perry Leathers. I, I understand. He makes chaps to order, too, I understand. <laughs> Assless chaps. Is there any other kind? I've never seen a pair of chaps hey, with an ass in it. Hey, him. Perry. Hey, Perry. It's its own purpose. Perry, when you're feeling down and your resistance is low, light another cigarette and let yourself go. Uh, what the hell was that? You can hear me. Oh, oh come on. What's, what song was I doing? I was doing Play the Game. Come on. What that was, man. Opening up. That's going to be the next album I'm going to order you guys to listen to, but I'm not telling you, so forget it. I don't like that. No, word I didn't hear it. I don't like that word you just used, pal. <laughs> hey, I just watched Roger Waters The Wall, so I'm on to this uh, ordering people. You know? <laughs> when are you going to go see him play? You're taking the family, right? I got two big concerts coming up. This Friday, I'm seeing Dead and Company at City Field. I'm kind of freaking out because. City Field is an enclosed parking lot. Last time, last year, I went with my son-in-law. I'm going with him again, and it fills up. Like you have to drive around, but we're going to have a good time. John, we're John city, we're city. For That's those the old in, stadium. Yeah, it's a new, uh, it's a new stadium for the Mets. So named after that famous. Would... It was named after that famous Cuban revolutionary, Chase Stadium. Yeah, there you go, Chase. Yeah, there you go. Uh, that, um, that was a Ruddles, Ruddles reference. <laughs> yeah. But the the right. Roger Waters show is going to be. I think it's August 30th. I'm not sure. I, I have it, but it's going to be like, first of all, he's 80. It's going to be the last time he plays. Wow. Wait, what, Roger Waters is 80? Yeah. He had to put this tour off for two years because of the yeah. lockdown. I had tickets to the original. I've got great seats. And when I say great seats, I'm not close to him. You don't want to be close to him. You want to be back. So I've got the first row in an upper tier because he's in the middle of the arena, sticks, uh, in the round, and the lasers. That's what you want to see. I'm taking my son, my daughter, and my son-in-law. And I warned them. I said, you guys, you you know, expect me to just be sitting there like this. I'm going to be soaking it all up, you know. This is it. This is the last time I'll see Roger Waters live. So it's going to be great. That's coming up. Yeah, that's in August. And uh, that's at Madison Square Garden. That's a lot easier to get to. The city Does, field thing is freaking me out. It's like going to Queens is tough. <laughs> yeah, go, yeah, it is. It is. I've, I've seen many a baseball game at Shea Stadium. Yeah, named after the famous Cuban revolutionary Shea Stadium. But um, <laughs> I'll tell um, you something. No, is Roger Waters is he using any other singers? Is it him? You know, back. I mean, it's rather, right. So what he does, oh, he generally people. does. 
he does uh, he does the solo stuff and he sings. Then he's always got a singer that can handle David Gilmore's parts. And he's got a bunch of guys in back of him. So he's got different, you know, he's got, he has no shortage of musicians. When he did the wall tour about 10 years ago, I remember he toured with that. He had G.E. Smith on guitar. He had a great band. And um, that show was great because he was, I saw it in Yankee Stadium and the whole outfield was the wall. It was just amazing. Wow. Uh, but the, the guy can get any musician he wants. So yeah, there's G. E. Smith playing. I'm like, I know that face. I know. G. E. Smith of the, yeah. of the of the SNL band and Hall and Oates and all that. Hall Oates, yeah, yeah. And, and he's, got, he's, he's got a core group of guys. He's got Dave Kilminster on guitar, who is a such an underrated guitarist. Um, look him up on Facebook, and he's got um, Graham Broad on drums, who is one of those ing- scary good English drummer. They're great, and you're like. He's great. Well, he's English. <laughs> and then he's got a guy named John Karen who has played with Pink Floyd and Roger Waters. So he played for both warring camps. He's great. He's just a great, that's his core band. And, uh, just, they're just perfect spot on nothing, nothing, no, never hear a mistake in that band. And G E Smith stepped in for that, uh, that wall tour David Bowie yeah. video fashion, right? He stepped yeah. in to shoot the video, even though he didn't plan a record. He shot, he shot the video because really Robert Fripp wouldn't, you know, come in the video. video. Yeah. yeah he's I didn't married know that. To, he's, he was married to Gilda Radner, too. G. Smith at one point. Really? Um, oh, yeah. yeah. When she passed away, Steve Martin was hosting. And he'd just gotten word that before he went on that she passed away. So when he did his introduction, he was visibly upset. But G. Yeah. Smith wore an, a, a black armband during the whole show. Mm, really? Mm. Yeah. Just a little tribute to a very funny lady. He got He got shafted from SNL because they kept telling him, stop doing mugging the camera and he wouldn't stop. So they fired, I heard he oh, really? fired him. Really? Yeah. And yeah, they were he's like, he was, the he, bone, was huh? he was the, I thought, you know, like you don't pay much attention to the band, but when he ran that band, it was great. When they went to commercial, he was playing good, playing good stuff. Well, he said they, you know, they, uh, all the, you know, like, uh, when, uh, Valerie Bertinelli was the host, you know, Eddie Van Halen was there. And he went right to the music room with GE Smith and the band was hanging out. That's where he, that's where he felt comfortable. Uh, yeah, you know? yeah. I, exactly. I bet you Eddie was a cool. He was probably a cool guy when you met him. I don't think. Well, he was apparently, a yeah, I, I don't think he's a pretentious he came guy. out for just rehearsal and played. And GE Smith said, "Boy, he kicked it, man. He kicked it." Yeah. And then he came out for the live show, and he made a couple of mistakes, but you know, it was still it was Eddie Van Halen. You know. Yeah, I, I would have been cool to see what, if, whatever he did. Maybe he did. I don't know. Outside of this, you know, rock pop Van Halen thing that he was in, because you know he was a musician of scope, but Van Halen there was you know there was a kind of silliness to them in, in a way, where they didn't take yeah. themselves too seriously. But you know he was obviously you know, a groundbreaking influential guitar player. But I wonder if How it, it would have been possible for him. Money? What's that? How about him not taking any money for that Michael Jackson mm-hmm. song? For, for beating, yeah, yeah, yeah. He did it as a favor, and he's like you know. All right, he, he he could have made a couple of more million dollars, but I mean, I, I think you know he did quite think, well. You I know, think as as all that money and Van Halen made, and you know, writing on producing. And... I think Eddie's big demon was alcohol because I read the Sammy Hagar autobiography, and you know, when they when Sammy first joined the band, they were they were pals, they were soul brothers, they were just like spiritual partners, yeah. you know. And if things went sour, and then there was the chapter where he talks about. Uh, they got Sammy back to do that one tour and he said Eddie was just drinking and he was a nasty drunk and that's a shame that you know when he drank he got bad and yeah. 
Yeah. I think that that was a problem. And when he stopped drinking, he was, he was okay. And that's, that's a, that, you know, it's a problem with a lot of people, yeah. but I think he generally is a nice guy and his brother too. I think they're good people, but they got really successful. There was a lot of strong egos in that band, David Lee Ross. So they kind of, the two of them protected each other. And it and was that way too. Yeah. Yeah. So it was like the Van Halen's against the world. And you know what? They loved each other's brothers. So yeah. I can't blame them. I felt eh, when Eddie died, I was, you know, whether you like him or not, that was just, he was a good, and in, in the last few years of his life, he was really like trying to do stuff with his son and he was, you know, he was just, yeah, he's a great guy. I, I think he was good. I think if you had met him, he'd be really shy. Yeah. He doesn't want to hear accolades. He just, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I, yeah, he wasn't an well, asshole. But there was some talk that David Lee Roth was talking to Alex, you know, about doing some sort of tribute. Like a tribute, yeah. Michael Anthony was involved in it too in the talks. Yep. Yeah. And they were talking to guitar they players. Apart. They um they asked Joe Satriani, I believe, and you know, all right, so you're gonna do a tribute to Van Halen and as good as Joe Satriani is and he's a great guitarist, people are gonna be like, Joe Satriani's gonna play. Like whoever plays Eddie's parts, it's gonna be like, What the hell is he doing? You know? Now, you who, see, do you think, who do you think should little, do it? Steve I heard Vi, maybe? Like, you know, maybe Joe Joe Satriani would play like Steve Vai might come and do a couple of no, you know, th- yeah. those kind of things. It would have to be like a few guitars, definitely. It yeah, could be yeah, one guy. Yeah. 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 Uh, so the, the the famous gunslingers of the day, you know, the guys that were influenced by him or maybe even rivals at one point, even though you yeah. never know if they met each other. They, I don't know. Where they, where they hit. Yeah. That was a weird that was I remember that period of music because that was, you know, the mid eighties where, you know, it was about, you know, the guitar player was the gunslinger. Everything had to yeah. be constructed around, you know, when does the guitar solo come in? That's all I care about. Yeah. You know? Right. And so, how many hammer ons can the lead guitar player from how was can yeah. CC Deville do that? You know, right. <laughs> and, and, and you know the, well, he's the two guys from across the stage. The two guys from Night Ranger are having sword fights over who's going to do the thing first. And that's, first, and that's why I dropped out of playing in bands because there was the late 80s, early 90s, and you got in a band and it was all competition. It was like your bandmates yeah. should be your group, but it was yeah. all like, what can you do? Don't overstep me. I'm like, you know what? I'm done with this. By that's the way, I got to say, that's by the way, band, yeah. Night Ranger, there were two guys. There was a guy with the tight curly hair, Brad Gillis. Brad Gillis. There's an, another guy, that guy with the long blonde hair, Jeff Watson. Jeff, Jeff Watson, yeah. All right. Look him up on Facebook. The guy has a what he he is he totally like he still plays music, but he dropped out of the business. He wanted to live in nature. He's got a house in the mountains in Northern California, and he's just living his life and he's happy. And I'm happy for him. Like he's a really like it's so cool to see that I'm I'm out of the business. I'm still going to play music, and you know I'm going to be funny when I want to be. But he feeds deer outside of his yard, mm. you know, in his, his yard. He's he's really in a good place now. I like to see musicians that went through that whole. Rise in popularity, but they don't get burned out. They end up, right. you know, happy. Well, they're, they're also their egos are secure. Where you know, do you want to be recognized in public all the time? You know, like if you like anonymity, if you're like a real person, you want your family to grow kind of normal. Yeah, yeah. Like he said, you know, do yeah. do what he did, and you know, but, yeah. Yeah, but that whole era, I remember, like even on a local level, where my old band played up at somewhere on Route 59 in Spring Valley. I forgot the name. Manhattan's. Manhattan's. Yeah. That's what it was, Manhattan. I hated that. Great place. club. We could do a show on that club, I bet. <laughs> right, yeah. Or any North, a lot of North Jersey clubs. A lot of funny shit went on there. Yeah. But we, we went on before this band called August. And if you're out there, August Shock. They were from Florida. And we went on, and we went over really well. And I didn't use my whole drum kit. I had this massive drum kit. They took my shit and rolled it down. It was, it was lower. It was like a, a loading dock thing. Because they were being spiteful. So when we finished our set, 
and they, they were just being assholes. Like before the gig, we couldn't get to like we change our shirts, kind of thing, and they yeah. were fighting over makeup. But that's okay. Um, but after they got said, they they trashed my drum kit, had my drum kit down. See, they got scratched up. And I was, I was like, that's, I said, that's, that's no, where's the spirit of the community? Where's you know? I, I yeah. mean, I'd, I'd loan them a microphone. I'd loan the guy a symbol if you know if it would, it would help. But the yeah, fact and, that when we were playing, they threw my shit down an alley. Way. That's the '80s in a nutshell, and those. That's why I, I didn't want to get into the live scene. That's that's what I saw when I got into it. And you know, where are they now? Where, uh, how popular are they? Are they still putting albums out? Yeah, you know, who knows? Well, maybe. Well, these people that were throwing you drums around were they a cover band? Yeah, no, they had they had some originals. Um, if I recall, there's there was a mixture. I think it's a, we're talking like 80, 84, 80, a lot 84 of attitude. It's yeah. before I met you, you know. Oh yeah, it was attitude, but they were the kind of thing where you know we we were going over well. You know, we were, we were playing some covers, but you know we were fun. Uh, Philosine was a fun band. These guys were very serious, you know. So oh, yeah. we you know we went over well, and afterwards and we, we 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 actually we went after them because they were they were, <laughs> they were pulling away in their truck. We tried to chase them. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't happen. <laughs> Well, you know, I remember seeing... Uh, that would have been a stupid scene anyway. I remember seeing this documentary of uh, Metallica and, you know, uh, they had a dartboard with Kip Winger's face on it and stuff, you know, and, they, uh, <laughs> and you know, who's the drummer? Um, what's his name? Uh, and Winger? And Winger, yeah. who gives a shit? <laughs> he, said he, felt, he said he felt, after, you know, years later, he said he felt bad about it. You know, you know what's funny about that? Because Kip Winger... He was he was like a poster boy, so he was handsome. Yeah. He's also mm-hmm. one of the best musicians out there, and their drummer and winger is, was. Is, a, is it really? Was, yeah, he is a great musician, and the drummer for winger was Rod Morgenstein from the Dixie Dregs. That's so. This band had crazy amounts of talent in it, so everybody was making fun of them, but they were really a good band. Kip Winger <laughs> is still out there doing it. He's still touring. He's still he's a working musician. I just saw a post from him. He's in Bulgaria tonight playing like the guy just keeps working. I think the fact that he was, he was a pretty boy and he was a ballet dancer at one point. Yeah. yeah. yeah he didn't, didn't give him heavy metal cred, you know, um, but he admitted um, it. Be- Beavis and Butthead did a pretty good hatchet job on them. If yeah. I recall correctly. I'll, yeah. They, they, they wait, made him into wait, a, Didn't he have a winger t-shirt? Didn't, didn't Beavis have a winger t-shirt? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what they did? They did winger uh, t-shirt right <laughs> and they did a song called she's only dc metallica and the the yeah. you know the, uh, <laughs> nerd had a uh yeah. winger t-shirt or yeah something. and, that, and that's, that's a, right that's right and they do a song called she's only 17 that would not fly today you know <laughs> a lot of we did a little segment uh, months back on the uh, songs that wouldn't fly today right yeah did, yeah. did we allude to that or do we actually do it because I, I got one to add uh, Benny, Mar- Benny Mardones, Into the Night. Oh, we talked about that. Oh, oh that is disturbing. <laughs> it? it sounds like he's turning through a werewolf at the end of it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's another song. It's like, she was only 16, and how old were you when you sang this? 24. What? 24. Oh, wow. <laughs> Going yeah, to that's jail. Bad. Uh, that's bad. That's bad. Yep. Age of consent notwithstanding, that's still pretty yeah. bad. <laughs> Ringo. Ringo had a number one hit with uh, you're you're 16. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was in his 30s. That's just yeah. Crazy. Well, whoever wrote that, you know. So yeah, that well, was in the four, the 40s or early 50s. But even even still, I'm you know, wasn't Richie Valens. Well, let's go back to the 40s. Thank heavens for little girls. That's a disturbing song, right? Jeez, I mean... without little girls, what would little boys do? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, how about this one? Clear this, guys. <laughs> Listen, this just proves something. Music is 
is the devil. It's Happy evil. birthday, sweet 16. Just go to <laughs> church. And you, yeah. <laughs> Perry's suspiciously quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm muting my microphone. <laughs> <laughs> well, on a high note, so we all have two albums to listen to this week. Well, I have one. You guys got two. So I'm going to be well, listening to Face to Face. Turn of a Friendly Card by Alan Parsons. I suspect you're going to like the Kinks album more. I think Lou killed me at this one. But, <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're going we're gonna to listen to this and then... Uh... So next week we come back and, and we give our honest opinions on it. Love it and or then, hate it. And then next week, Perry, you'll, you'll recommend... Think of an album you want me and Lou to listen to. And then we'll even it out. Every week, one of us will recommend an album. And that's the way, just like Perry, like I was telling you, I would never have listened to Woco if you didn't say to me, you got to listen to Summer Teeth. And I listened to it, and I loved it. And I became a lifelong Woco fan. Well, you know, I, I don't remember it so much that as you and I were working together over the summer, and the album came out, and I brought it with me. You know, I brought it in the CD player while we were, uh, you know, Stripping no. wax off the floor in the classrooms. You, know? you, you, you demolished me in the laundromat. You went something about Wilco, and I go, "Who's Wilco?" And you went, "You never heard of Wilco?" And you just went for twenty minutes on Jeff Tweedy. Uh, you said, make me sound like a pompous ass. You know? This no, no, but well, the thing I mean, is, listen. First of all, in the background on Sirius was Handsome Dick Manitoba. His show was on. We were listening to that. It's ninety degrees in the laundromat. But when you told me about Tweety, I said, I got to listen to this guy. So Summer Teeth was the first album, and the second album was Being There. I heard, like, like how the hell did I miss this music? So that's did, you, did, did you mean in chronological order, or was that the first one you listened to? Uh, Perry got me into Summer Teeth first, and then okay. I heard it was Being There. That was a record after Being There with Summer Teeth. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. But the, um, inter interesting jump, too, from one country yeah. record to a Pro Tools Jay Bennett, more Jay Bennett. But, yeah. you know, it's funny. I, I kind of like to this day, um, the, the, what hooked me up was Perry gives me Summer Teeth. I put it on the first song. I don't know the name of the song. Right? So I love that song. And I can't I said, stand it. But, you know, I heard Tweety. It's like a throwaway song to him. He's really? not fond oh. of it. They like they threw it on at the last minute. He's like, eh, whatever. I loved it. <laughs> Well, I thought uh, I thought Lou that it wasn't it because the uh, the uh, record company didn't see a single and they wanted another up. Yeah, they wanted another that's right. Number, right. That's right. That they didn't. Yeah, yeah. Th that was yeah. A recording that kind of. I guess the uh, John Starrett and Ken Cooper felt alienated for, however, to deal with the production thing with these Pro Tools. That was their first computer. Or Woco. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> hey, you know, they're. You can say biggest about part the of American too. music, yeah. Big, one of the biggest parts of American music, so you can never talk about them too much. Yeah. Some of those yeah. records by that band were like some of the best mixed records I've ever yeah. heard. You well, know, their mixing is fantastic. That's what I say from my mastering side. That that's what got me into them, like listening to that mm. and yeah. hearing like uh, being there. That that mix, and then the stuff they do with Billy Bragg. Those albums, if you listen to them on headphones, well, you feel like you're in that. Uh, you and I were working at the school yeah. over the summer. Yeah. And uh, it was Mermaid Avenue that we played that stuff to death. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Never got I, sick I of heard, it. I heard a Bob Seeger cover of California Stars. Really? I bet you it was I heard good. that too. It's, it sounded great. You know, he's, a good, yeah. I mean, he's a great singer. I, I, I used to knock him a lot. You know, I think when that whole 80s, like, you know, 
like a rock. And against the wind, if I, I wouldn't say I got burned out, but uh, some of the earlier stuff, but I heard California Stars. I mean, he's a great singer, uh, yeah. cool guy. He seemed like a cool dude. If you see Probably the Eagles talking, you know. It's probably because it was all commercial radio, and you weren't listening to a lot of commercial radio. No, at that no, time. no. In the early '80s and mid '80s, I, I veered left. You know, I wanted correct. I got yeah. T- yeah, I got tired of being told this is what I'm supposed to listen to, and you know, right. we, we, we like I guess all I says, I'm knowing you and as a musician, Perry and Mark. You know, maybe not as much as a musician. We like you know we're open minded and we like stuff that might not be considered. You know, definitely wasn't the mainstream, which I don't have a problem with the mainstream, but. What was the mainstream in the mid '80s to me was not as palatable as I'd like it to be. And being, being a sucker for a two-minute song, and always will. If you can yeah, bring it under two minutes, under you're a genius. Radio, freeform radio, you know, yeah. down the dial, and uh, oh yeah, yeah. But, and, and, at that time, all the radio stations were being bought up by the corporations, and yeah, you know, I don't have time for PLJ and you know Bruce yeah. Juice in the morning, or you know whatever. It well, is. that that Tom Petty song or that album, The Last DJ, you know, yeah, just basically well, rang the death bell on. Independent radio, independent yeah. mainstream commercial radio. Well, just say what why we do, Bob, all we do. What, what, got, what got me into Bob Seger was somebody gave me their old albums, and I listened to some of his early albums, uh, Smoking OPs, the one album with Ramblin' Man, and they're heavy. He was yeah. heavy R&B, heavy Detroit yeah. R&B. Yeah. Really sure. good yeah. stuff. Yeah. You know? Great, great music. I, I like it better than, like, say, Mitch Ryder. Um, I think mm. if you look at that kind of... You know, there's a certain kind of blue-collar rock and roll, too. You know, he's not wasn't highfalutin music. You know, he was a bar band and, you know, the guys like that worked their bands well, like Ronnie Van Zant worked Leonard Skinner. Yeah. You know, yeah. he, he rehearsed, that was his band. He rehearsed them. Bob yeah. Seger's yeah. the same way. You know, that's, you go, you're working. You know? mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, Night absolutely. Moves in retrospect, Night Moves is a good record. I mean, like, it is. Like I said, how many times have you heard it? You know, I'm, her strut, maybe not so much, but I do respect her, but, I like the way she struts whatever it goes. Well, I like the fire down below, but that's just me, you know. Lawyer and the cop. Fire Lake. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, come on, Louis. The horizontal bop. I mean, yeah, we get to know what you're talking about, pal. I forgot about that. That's that's pretty crass, yeah. Yeah. The horizontal bop. Hey, it's a Detroit thing, you know. Beautiful loop. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe that's just classic 70s cock rock. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe cock rock that hasn't come up in a while. You know what they outcock brute uh, Bob outcocked Kiss because Kiss didn't do anything like fire down below horizontal Bob. Kiss didn't lick, do that stuff. Lick it up, lick it up. That like, was the eighties though. That was the eighties. Okay. Well, my question is like, lick what up? Like what spilled? Did, did Paul or Ace spill some like ketchup on the floor? <laughs> Mayonnaise actually, you know what though? Yogurt, Jergens hand lotion. What, what was actually saying? Hey, can I can I mop it up? Why do I have to look this up? Can I mop it up? I got I gotta admit though, the other like a while back I was listening to a hair metal channel on Sirius. Yeah, like probably the eighties. Lick it up yeah. came on. I was like, oh, turn it up. I mean <laughs> yeah, it was good. <laughs> I liked it, you know. <laughs> lick it up. Uh, well, you guys want to sign off for the evening? Looks yeah. like we're headed, yeah, over an hour and a half again. Yeah. The Tonight I hope Show. people stayed awake with us. Well, I've got some homework. Mark demanded that I listen to some things, so I guess. <laughs> and we talked about BOC. Well, why, why not? Yeah. So. And we, yeah. And we always will. And we always will. Yeah. But only only because, you know, it would, I would be remiss in not mentioning the fact that, you know, when I was doing that little quiz of the album titles, I saw Sandy Perlman produced Flash. Like, yeah, you got to bring that up. So, you know, well, yeah, here's the yeah. deal. It's all, it's all part of the, the web, the interwoven 
So Thanks. you love Blue Oyster Cult, I and I love Stephen Wilson, Porcupine Tree. It's like so it moves us. So we mention them. It's not mm-hmm. no problem with that, you know. Yeah. So you know, sorry, Tom. Yeah, we won't. We'll try not to. You know. Yeah, but and then there's still like I said, if if you put out an album after not making an album for what, almost twenty years, and critics say like, this is a really good album. Again, it wasn't like a, you know a folk band can do can carry on folk music. It's not that demanding. Yeah. But to be a hard rock, almost heavy metal yeah. band, yeah. in your well well into your seventies is a testament to these. You know, well, the part of that, of look, look into the label that they did it for, Frontiers Records. Look them okay. up, read about them, because they've taken a lot of bands that have been going at it. Like they did, Toto did their, I think, one of their best albums of their career for Frontiers Records. They're an Italian label, and they get these bands, and they just like somehow they influence them or they threaten the violence. I don't know what they do, but they, under, they understand them. I'm sure there's a mafia. Now. Yeah, <laughs> but they no, they they what they do is they signing all these bands that were big in the '80s or '70s, and they, they, it's a good business plan. Sign yeah. them all, you're going to get enough good albums. The total album that they did for them was freaking phenomenal. So I'm, I'm sure there's people it. in I'm sure there's people in these companies that understand music and artists. Like you know, the reason REM signed with Warner Brothers were Warner Brothers at the time was a, a label that was known were giving their artists freedom working with them on on the level that they felt they should, as you know, as opposed to just being numbers. Yeah, and you know, that kind of, like yeah. I said, like I, I don't think um, Warner Brothers was going to drop REM after New Adventures and High Five came out, and that was the beginning of the commercial decline. They weren't going to drop them. guys hanging around in the studio. While exactly, Perry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they already made their bones. They didn't have to prove a damn thing. Yep. Um, yep. But you know, like I said, and there were. Always like we we forget too like internationally you know you, your album may tank in America, but in Europe you know the rest of the world is pretty big out there. You know, it's, America's not flat. You know? um, and your but, you know, European audiences tend to listen to an album based on the album, not on the band. Like uh, sometimes in this country, it's like oh their 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 ship has passed, so I'm not going to listen to it. Europe tends to like appreciate every album for what it is. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and that's right. New New Adventures was huge in Germany. For a reason, sure. they just well, want to hear good music. Like uh, Golden Earring are huge all over Europe, you know. Yeah, yeah. They had two yeah, songs so here that went we anybody really knows, you know. And I saw both, both two longer songs. Too. They were not short three minute singles. Those are longer yeah. songs. I saw Toto. I saw Toto at B, I saw Toto at BB King's. They could barely fit on stage with their huge band. Right, and that same tour, they put out a DVD with, that was recorded in Germany, in which they had a uh, twenty-five thousand seat arena filled. It's it's like it's it's amazing, you know, like how some bands here just cult status, and then Europe. Yeah. I, I appreciate the European audiences. Oh, yeah, Slade. well, they're, they're... Slade, Slade, Slade. Mm-hmm. yeah, they're huge in the UK. Huge mm-hmm. hit after hit after hit. Even, and even when when the band was no longer the band in the eighties and into the early nineties, before they say Rick Danko died, like. He would tour like Amsterdam Sweden with like was a Jonas Jonas Feldstadt or some other like Eric Anderson. There's like a, like a trio they did. They would do these club gigs. But I'm sure they made a shit ton of money. But yeah. the fact that you know you can go to Europe, which who wouldn't want to go to Europe anyway, you know, um, or or Canada because they're so much more civilized. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> well, the thing is, you know, you the, the, the fact you know America's forgotten about you, but you go over and some guy in Sweden wants to hear you play. You know, makes no difference or whatever. Yeah. So Steve Lukather, guitar player for Toto. He's playing BB Kings now. Everyone there loved him. They're screaming for him. He's liking it. But then keep blaming him. He goes to Germany or he goes to France and he's selling out an arena. He's seeing twenty something thousand people screaming for him. Yeah, that's great. I'm I'm happy for him. 
Look at Jim O'Rourke. He's huge in Japan. Really? Yeah. Wow. He lives there, that's that's right. Yeah. He lives they there. They love yeah. surf music in Japan. They love surf. Yeah. They love Elvis in Japan. They love all that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Edenville was almost number one in Japan at one point. Really? Really? Yeah. Um, Edenville's first gig was at, uh, that's the band, folks, that I was in. Um, a lot of those, most of those songs were co written with Perry and myself, but it was a three piece band. And our first gig was at Hobo, in Hoboken, at a cl- Hoboken, New Jersey, at a club called Love Sexy. So when we first started playing, it was, you know, kind of like, eh, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of people that were going over well. I'm not kidding you. I went to fix something on my amp. I turned around and there was like 10 Japanese people in front. And we started playing and they, so I have pictures of it. They started dancing kung fu fighting choreography, throwing kicks at each other's heads. And we're just playing. It was, it was kind of like simple American pop, you know, but uh, there's pictures of me. I'm laughing my ass off because I can't believe it. Like this, uh, the picture struck. It looks like one guy's going to kick the guy in the face. But um, it was that, you know, thing where you know, American rock and roll is sometimes more popular than in its own country. You know, it's a shame. Cats, it's a shame cats had to go to England to make it. Ramones, too. It's a shame you didn't make it to Japan. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, uh, who uh, had the song called Big in Japan? Was that John Hyatt? Tom Big Waits. Japan. Tom Waits. That's right. Big in Japan. Yeah. Big in Japan. Yeah. Or um, what was it, the movie um, uh, Reality Bites or something? Uh, Citizen Dick, the band. We're number one in Belgium. We're big in Belgium, man. That's, um, no, Singles. Singles, one singles, of my favorite movies. Okay. Great movie. Great. <laughs> We're big in <laughs> Belgium, man. Also had a song called Chocolate Jesus. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we had a song called Chocolate Milkshake, Barry. Yeah, that's right. A country, uh, country, country yeah, kind of cow, cow punk. Kind of cow punk. Never came to fruition. That's never been recorded properly, only in rehearsal. Yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe we'll do that and uh, Mr. Smith... When Mr. Smith goes to Swannanoa, he can <laughs> Swan uh, nowhere. play bass on it or something. Yeah, there you go. Guitar, anything, yeah. But don't say the song title. Someone will steal it. Don't That's say right. the song title. Right. <laughs> I mean, I got well, a song called Chocolate it, Wine. It's it's copyright. It's skyline theme, if that's okay with you. It's awesome. Yeah. We're, we're heading out. And huh? I just re-record my solos. They sound horrible. No, they don't. Stop it. Yeah, they do. Punch them in. Punch them in, you, that's all. If you want to reach us, we are musicrelishpodcast at gmail.com. Yes. We're also on Facebook. Search for Music Relish Podcast. And YouTube. Music Relish Podcast. We're big in Belgium. Big in the Bahamas. Big in Liechtenstein. Yeah, we're pushing two hours. We're pushing uh, an hour and 54 minutes. A little sports in here. Well, I'd like to, by the way, I'd like to thank my technical producer, Corey Delinsky. <laughs> good man, good man. WNBC. <laughs> Priest, a rabbi, and a nun walk into a bar. <laughs> Don't go there. We all came down to Montreux. <laughs>